This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Outlaw. By definition, a person who has broken the law. Synonyms. Fugitive. Criminal. Outcast. Pariah. Bandit. Desperado. Villain. Black Hat. Some outlaws are of legend. Jesse James, Doc Holliday, Bonnie and Clyde, Billy the Kid. Some of these outlaws wielded guns. This one, well, he gripped a steering wheel. And that ain't all. The guest in our studio today is perhaps the most intriguing guest, Mike, that yes. we've ever had on the download. This is one of the most successful race car drivers ever to strap into a race car. And it's possible that a lot of people don't even know his name, but it's possible you do. Mm-hmm. I've sure heard a lot of stories about him over the years, some rumors and wise tales. <laughs> so I took it upon myself, actually, to read his book I have right here. And I want to know about his past in racing as well as his troubles that landed him in jail. Uh, my dad certainly knew Gary. Mark Martin said recently that there were only four people in this world that were never intimidated by Dale Earnhardt, and one of them was Gary Hot Shoe Blue. Mm, that says something. I just finished reading Gary's book, Hot Shoe, A Checkered Past, My Story. I was blown away by what I read. Uh, one insert here. After a race in 1981, my dad referred to Gary as one of the dirtiest driving son of a bitches he ever raced against. <laughs> I've got questions about that. Dad certainly raced against a lot of dirty driving SOBs, right. but he was certainly called one maybe several times in his career. <laughs> I also want to know how someone so talented, so successful, could get wrapped up in smuggling drugs, a decision that cost Gary 10 years of his life with his family and his career. I'm still fascinated by the stories of smuggling drugs. Uh, No podcast, no book, no documentary is ever going to relieve my curiosity about that part of Gary's life. But the one thing I really appreciate from the book is reading about Gary's work ethic, his creative approach to racing. From that, I tell all my young drivers that if they would read this book, it will definitely, without a doubt, make them a better race car driver. If they can apply Gary's approach to how they prepare their own cars, they will see the results on the racetrack every week. We've got a lot of questions, and I'm thankful that Gary flew all this way over here to answer them. I'm extremely honored to welcome Gary Hotshubaloo to the download. Oh, anytime, man. I'm glad, I'm glad to be here. So, you know, many Hall of Fame race car drivers uh, consider you one of the greatest drivers that they've ever competed against. What do you think made you so good as a race car driver? Work. You know that. The people you surround yourself with. Yeah. You're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. I, yeah, as you read that book, I, I've never won a race by myself ever, including my very first race, which the first race I raced at Highly, I won in a hobby stock car. Yeah. But Buddy Griffin helped me build a race car and helped me build the rear springs and the spindles. And he would put a kid cage in it and put a seat in it. I mean, the doors weren't held shut with seat belts. They were welded shut. You know yeah. what I mean? It was a hot rod. And I won 37 races that year. You say air is free, and oh. I try to tell my late model guys the same thing. How, do, how Can you explain to us what you mean by that? I got off in the Aero because I knew I knew nothing about Aero 
with a couple cards. So I said, I'll never get there. I don't I, I don't understand none of this. And I got around Pete Hamilton and Ray Stockus. Pete was into Arrow with a late model car, you know, and of course they were, he drove for Petty and so forth. He'd tell me, I'd call him, I'd say, this thing's a little tight getting in, you know, he said, put some more in the nose. Put some more in the nose and it'd be loose getting in. I said, now it's loose. He said, put some more in the back. <laughs> you know, okay, put some more in the front, put some more in the back. And we kept on, we kept on until we got a real good bounce. And then I got to where I started painting the nose and stuff, and I actually put like two inch holes in the nose with a and played over top of it, I could move around. I got so balanced underneath, right. you know, it turned up underneath. Uh-huh. But it was ugly behind somebody else that lose the air. So then I started moving the nose to the right and left front fender way before the, late, the cup wow. cards. Right. It's closing the hole up, and I worked on closing the hole up, closing the hole up, and pulled away from the bottom. So I just got off into the air, and then I got moving the carburetor box around and the air box around and cheating in the back with a rear spoiler and I had some mechanical advantage back there. Sometimes the back would hop up two or three more inches and worked on the roof and narrowed the roof up and worked on the B, the B post, A, A and the B, and turned the A's. And, oh, yeah, but the, the big advantage I had was that I did get to go race with the cup cars and see a lot of that. Then I was around Raymond Beetle also with the drag cars. Raymond didn't know much about air, but what did he know about organization and, and people? So, I, you know, and then as I grew up, like racing the late model cars, Marty Henshaw was a Bobby Allison. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. run sheet metal shops of 70, 80, 100 people, so he was really skilled with people. And he taught me all them skills of you can have 10 people working on a hot rod, and you know what each one of them were doing, and you're doing your doing, you're right on top of it, yeah. you know. So that was really good. Just the people that I was around, you know, it was incredible. So you began racing in Florida, but you moved to the Northeast to run dirt modifieds in the 70s uh, and dominated up there. You were a hired driver. So was it common to have hired drivers in the 70s? That, to me, was really surprising uh, to take away from your book, that you were really hired to go drive a car, be the mechanic. They got a mechanic a little on the cheap because they just pay you a little extra percentage from the winnings. But was there was there many guys like you in the 70s that were hired to be you know driving there was quite a few you know would come from south florida i got in the deal there i went but someone had me go up there with a, a torino that was a heavy car and he had to run it smuckers and so forth it was a late model car and it was heavy and they called me up there to help me straighten it out and i said i don't know much about dirt you know but anyway we got up there and i, I got the cutting torch to it and lightened it up and put some neat stuff on it built springs for it and did a cat that was going to drive it, didn't want to drive it. He wanted me to drive it. I said, I, I know, I'm not racing no dirt. I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had watched him the week before pretty good. And <laughs> so I'll just get behind this cat right here, wearing, by wearing and follow him right to the front. And I did. I followed him in front and run second. Yeah. Well, that got me going in the dirt cars there. And then Millinger picked me up. And that was a Bobby Allison car. Well, okay. with Bobby, we were pretty tight. So Bobby would help me and Eddie and him and. We got going pretty good, won some races, and then they called me and said, come on, we run a modified car. I said, whoa, 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 I don't know nothing about big blocks and injectors on yeah. fuel. You but you, ma- you, you were making a living as a driver. Yeah. And so was that was that a lot of guys doing that? Not a lot of people could have made a living as a driver. You, that, that's, I think that speaks to your talent. People would hire you because they knew they were going to go win races. They knew the car would be better. You, they knew you would make the car better. Well, let me tell you, when I first went to New Jersey, they had a Tobias car. I couldn't hit my butt with both hands. Yeah. I mean, I, I was ready to come on because I was used to winning races with a late model car at Palm Beach and Highland and wherever we went, New Smyrna, wherever. It was ugly. I had to run a constant to make the race. and I'd run in the back. I, I don't know, I'd run 12, 15, 13, and I, 
I'm not doing this. I don't yeah. want to do it. Had it fit, had I said, no, it no, 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 no. Just stay, stay, stay. Mulligan's building a new car. Well, Whip liked to fish, and he'd like to diddle, and it wasn't at my speed. They said, well, go up there and help him. I said, I'd love to. So I got a chance to go up there and work with Whip in his shop, and we finished the car. Rocket ship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about I'm back, you know? Yeah. So we went to Hightstown the first night. Stan Pulaski was a hot dog. He set it to starter stand, which I raced asphalt. I like to drive it off in and just set it and then drive it off, you know, not turn tires off of it. Well, I come from the back, and I got to him, and he was leading it. And I jumped outside him like I knew what I was doing. He set the car. Boom. Straight into the guard rail. <laughs> the wheel busted the right front wheel and axle, right rear tube, all that stuff. And part of the wheel went up and hit the starter. Broke his leg. Damn. So not only did I kill the car, but I tried to kill the starter. <laughs> I ended up in the infield, two records to take it back. And I remember going across with my head down. And I can't believe I wrecked this brand new car, all this work. You know, like, you're done, jerk. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Paul Hiddleman owned it, was standing there, and he said, Gary, get your head up. Why do you have your head down? I said, Have you seen your hot rod? He said, I've seen it. He said, We're going to whoops tonight and fix it. We're racing tomorrow night. Okay. I said, Listen, I'll make you a deal. Whatever I make, I'll pay for what I tore up tonight. He said, get out of here. What are you, crazy? We went back and we worked all night long. And we went to Plymouth the next night. It had V-belts on it. I can remember it had V-belts of a Gilmore belt. It had power steering starts. Well, it's got 12, 14 degrees of caster. You know, when you turn it, it lifts you up out of the seat. So I got the belts tight as I can. It lifts me out of the seat. I'm leading it. The Plymouth square race. Right? Yeah. I couldn't. I, my arms were falling off. I finally run second. Pulowski won it. And I, my arms these things like it's, uh, my it's arms my arms hurt so bad i mean i pumped some iron and stuff and you know how your arms feel the next day and all that and the day after and then start feeling i couldn't even zip my zipper to pee but so i wiped my butt <laughs> you know they said come on we're, we're, we're going to Nazareth tonight i said listen guys i can't even lift my arms up we're coming to get you i said no 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 here they come drive up in front of yard. get in get in i said you gotta be kidding me Put me in there, put me in the car, truck moving on to the racetrack. All right, let's get in. I said, I don't think I can do this. Said, get in. I got in. They hooked the belts up for me. That's what my arms hurt. I went out and I practiced, and this thing was rocking again. I'm in. My arms were feel good now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so we won. We won the first night to 100 hour. Yeah. So that was cool. We were, on, we were on a roll then, you know, but it took that 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 new car. I mean. How challenging it, uh, was it to, to never be able to really establish a long-term foundation moving around so much i mean from south florida up north and back down to south florida being that hired gun and driving for so many different owners you were wow. moving and moving and moving all the time you know like two best hunters i drove for i'm gonna say in florida miami area was marty henshaw and johnny marandino i always had to ride with them when i come home you know like winter time i, I used to drive for one or the other depending on where marty was with larry and this one and that one and they were pretty good hot rods and i'd take them and i'd work on a chassis and like we went to palm beach on friday night I brought some cantilever Hoosiers back for 200 lap for Mary Evans Memorial. And they're round. There's no edge on the top, you know what I mean? And so we're going to run them Saturday night at 200 lap. We went to Palm Beach, 50 lap, a big block, and won the race. Come back and built a 377 motor. And we put that in the car. And when they put it in, they left the plug out from underneath the head. And we fired it up, and there's oil blowing everywhere. He said, well, the head stuck. And the head came out. said, okay, here's the plug. Put it in. I did a little around there for about an hour, and I got it in. It's full, full of silicone. They run the head back down, never readjust the lash or nothing. We went to Hialeah. But the cantilever tires would never run. Yeah. They said, okay, you start in the back. Marty's car was on the pole with Rohero. I said, wow, thank you. You know, starting the back at Hialeah, that's, you know, give me a break. 
Yeah, in the back. I said, hey. we sat in the back. And there was probably 30-some cards, 38, 36 cards. Boom, 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 boom. All went and caught Larry. They wouldn't have no me getting by him. I mean, he'd run me in the infield, run me to the wall. Marty's car now. I can't run into him. I don't want to run into him. We're friends. And on and on and on. And finally, he slipped enough to where I dove up under him. And he turned down. I hit him in the door, and he started spinning. I gassed up a little bit, hit him in the left front, straightened him up. Then he got straight, and I went on. I'm leading it. He's riding around waiting on me. Well, Marty taught me when they wait on you, drive through him. Don't, don't, just drive through him. Yeah. Okay. You're saying if they're waiting on you to come around so they can take you out, you're, you know, you, wide open. you're saying that you always learn, take <laughs> them me, out. Let's see. I've hit them head on. Yeah. Okay. I'll come in the opposite direction. And the guy dove behind the pace car. He's wrecking it. He run his mouth to the driver's man. He was going to wreck me and Bright Bill. I said, whoa, whoa. I drive the red car, the three car. Bright Bill drives the white car. Now, who are you talking about? I have not had a problem with you. <clears throat> no, not you, not you. I said, don't say say white cars in. The heat race, he nailed me in the left rear passage for the lead, and there was probably 14 cars in the heat race at Reading. Oh, well, modifies. If one of them don't hit you in the face, you're lucky. <laughs> so nobody hit me. I said, you know what? He run his gator, and he was going to do this. <laughs> All right. I got a fire back up, and I watched him. He went down the back straight away, and I said, got to time this right. And I gassed her up, down the front straight the wrong way, and he come off four, and I was coming down the front straight and put about half throttle. And he seen me coming, he dove behind the pace car. When he did, I caught him right front to right front. Wow. Oh, uh, Lady car. oh, you got to kill somebody. Somebody's going to get killed. He stopped everything, you know what I mean? Said, well, you know, if I could have got him radiator cap, the radiator cap, I would have. <laughs> you know? Damn. Yeah. I, I, but that, you know that, Dale. Yeah, you oh, got to yeah. stop it because if we don't stop it, everybody's going to take a shot. Oh, you're right. They'll run you why, over. Why pass you? <laughs> Just knock you out. You yeah. Know? How many... Do you know how many feature wins you are credited for? Like, is there a number that, or did it get too much, too many to count? We got, we got the other side of a thousand, and we just basically quit. I'm gonna say someplace between a thousand, twelve hundred, something like that. I don't know. Wow. So, so just you get to the point of what? So, so you've you had know. more than a thousand feature wins, and uh, you just you sort of gloss over the versatility, and that's one of the things that really blew me away in your book is that really how you can go somewhere, race a different car, different track you've never been at, and you, you, you're just talking about following a guy. But most people don't pick up racing that, that easily. I mean, what is it about you and your adaptability that made you be able to drive just about anything? I think that as far as the racetracks, I excelled on going to a racetrack that nobody had ever raced on. You know, a new racetrack, when we all went there. Okay. It was like we came on a trail and we would get it quicker than most. Just by outthinking? I think just being a natural. I don't know exactly how, but anytime we went to a new racetrack, we were always right at the top of the ladder. You know what I mean? But everybody thinks they work hard. I mean, you ask any racers, they're like, yeah, man, my boys been working yeah. hard. But you guys were, it seemed like you were smarter. Like you, you had something to it. Is that, am I wrong about that? People. People's one thing, people's a big thing. The right people and people work together. It's team effort. There's no why in this. It's a team effort. I appreciate what you're saying, and that's right. But I still think that those. I don't know. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit because a thousand wins is unbelievable. And like Dale was saying, you were bouncing around to a bunch of different people. Yeah, this isn't oh. this isn't a thousand wins or something. You're running late miles. You're running ASA running in, the, in the Midwest. With a lot of people. This <laughs> uh, Dick Trickle. Uh, drove a few different type race cars, but nobody in the history of short track racing, I don't think, uh, was uh, so versatile in that sense. 
One, I think one great example, we've got a lot from the book, but 1973 at the Schaefer 100, you basically bolted two fuel cells in the car. So you yes. wouldn't have to, what? There was a, man, there, was a mani- there was a mandatory fuel stop. And he both, so he, you know, they just, they would think around the rule book. It wasn't the bottom, cut the bottom on one, bowl them together. Right. Bigger can. So we run 45 gallons of alcohol in them things when we run constant flow injectors. So it wasn't nothing the weight. I mean, we worked on that. (laughs) So I think, and Gary's, Gary was an amazing driver. Should have won it. But from what, yeah, from, from, from what I take away from that is he yeah, he could get in anybody's car and be awesome. But if he could actually work on it a little bit beforehand, oh, yeah. mm. he could make it. He was like, think he could make it even better because he worked around the rule book. He didn't break the rules. They didn't say he couldn't run too <laughs> well, good. It looks well, like he might. <laughs> let's not go that far. Thank you, Dale. <laughs> what some? I mean, what are some of the craziest things? Aside, I mean, that's a great example. Putting two fuel cells together in the car to be able to hold more fuel, so you didn't have to take so much fuel on that mandatory stop. They, they, it. they held right. us in the pits. Well, what yeah, are some, they yeah. held him in the pits because his fuel guy didn't what they didn't put no good, fuel in it. He didn't yeah. do a good enough job to win, win a Grammy trying to <laughs> fake the fuel yeah. into the car. Yeah. Um, What's some of the cool, craziest things you ever done to to trick your cars up and even break the rule book? Well, uh, Arrow was real big. I mean, we had the back of the car to where you talk about the car hiking up three inches. Hike it up to the tail. The recorders hike it up. You know, so you put like four inches, five inches, three inches more where it's spoiling the car. You right. get off in the corner deeper. Yep. You know all that. So how did you do that? With mechanically. Yeah. Went to cranks and and then probably the the most outlandish thing we ever did was run Mercury. What was that? Wait, what? <laughs> so how? Why would you run Mercury? Left side. My car was sixty percent left side without the driver. Yeah. So how did you do that? Pumps, <laughs> stainless cans. Yeah. The frame rail to frame rail. And it pumped Mercury from one side of the car to the other. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're, what? While you're on the racetrack or while you're in the pits. After you went through tech. Right. Yeah. Incredible. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. So uh, Daryl Waltrip. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was nothing. Nothing in the rule books. You couldn't do that right. at the time. But yeah, hey, nobody says you can. EPA and all that stuff, boy. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I imagine how many rules have been created because of you, like wow. because of your, your stunts. I mean, wow. I bet there's a bunch. Now, yeah. Now, you guys slid. I've heard things about you guys being able to slide around weight during races. That's what he's talking about. Yeah. Pump, I mean, the mercury. The mercury pumping from one side of the car to the other. During the race. Yeah. Jesus. Well, in the pits. Okay. To get it across the scales. I'll tell okay. you a good story. I had a fire bottle, and I'd move from the left side to the right side. It was like 41 pounds of full mercury. So it's pretty hard to get that under the steering wheel and get it from the right side to the left side. But one Concord, it got caught. The steering wheel was about to cross a lot, cool down a lot. I won it. Yeah. I couldn't get it over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was in trouble. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I thought, what am I going to do? I rolled up all four of them. I passed out. I was exhausted. I pulled off, went down in the infield and just pulled up the inside guardrail and bumped a little bit and they all come running. I was Ray, move it, move it, get it over there. Yeah. Ray got it over there. <laughs> then we got to the scale, but but the fuel and everything, and I think we were about three pounds light. Dang. And then back and forth, back and forth, we stuffed it, we shook it, we everything, you know. And everybody, ah, blah, blah, blah. They got quick change gears. They come up with quick change gears and I put them in my pockets. But when I go to get a hot rod, the cop wants to pat me down. I said, get away from me, man. What's wrong with you? You nuts or what? And I got in the car and we finally made weight, you know. But Dang. That cop was patting you down? Yeah, patting me down, man. Get in the race car. I said, get away from me. Who do you think you are? <laughs> that is amazing. Well, they do that stuff at the Snowball Derby now. I mean, yeah. uh, oh, you know. Ricky Brooks. Ricky Brooks is the best, best inspector I've ever seen anywhere, any place. Oh, yeah. He's better than DEA drug dog. 
<laughs> well, you know, you know that, yeah. right? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. The local racing in the seventies and eighties was wild affair. How many physical? I know you were you were a fighter. How many physical fights you think you've been mixed up in? Whoa. As many wins, we, <laughs> as many feature yeah, wins. Well, yeah. What, what do you have more of, wins or fights? It was uh, probably close. But <laughs> we uh, we go to Highland, go to a, to uh, a fight, a gun fight, a knife fight. And, Maybe it'd be a race breakout. You know? yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I'm telling you, the parking lot there was rough. They were gangsters. Why? What man? made I, that? What I it? raced with gangsters. <laughs> they were gangsters. Okay, so yeah. that might yeah. be one reason. I don't know where Al Capone was. He should have been there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was there. Maybe. Well, all right, so you got in a lot of fights, a lot of dust ups, but uh, and, and you mentioned some in the book. Give us one that just stands out in your early days that you had to really just you talking about having to. Stand your ground to people. Uh, give me a good I, fight I, I, story. I'll tell you one when I got my butt beat. Bill Flingo was leading the race one night, and he was the president of the organization. And who is it? Who Bill Flingos. Okay, all right. And I run him down on Marty's car, and I caught him and tried to get by him. He's all over the racetrack. Finally, I got under him and turned him around. He waited on me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what happened? You run him all over. the way up to the butt seat, always his seat. <laughs> so you just plumb right into him. Yeah, my, uh, Marty said you did good. I said, yeah, look at your outright. He said, I don't care. We'll put it up. We'll it. go again. Yeah. Yep. He didn't he mess with you again, again, right? No, that was over. Till in the parking lot when the races were over. Oh. Uh-oh. What happened there? Well, they surrounded me. That and there was more of them than me, and they beat the out of me. Really? Oh yeah. I yeah. got a good ass beating there. And with that being said. My brothers were pretty crazy. They liked to fight, and they were in fights all the time in high level. I mean, my dad was a police officer, but my brothers were pretty wild. They come to the racetrack the next week with me with guns. Because they all had guns there now. Yeah. You don't want to be without a gun. Yeah. Oof. And Hialeah, that was a rough place. I mean, if, for the fans oh. listening, you're, you're talking about some of the great racers in motorsports history coming out of there. You're talking about um, yeah, Bobby Allison, of course, is the, the benchmark name that everybody knows. Donnie Allison, uh, the Andersons. So many people uh, oh, yeah. cut their teeth down in that Miami area, which now is like a ghost town of, of racing. Boy. But uh, in the day, there were so many hot talents coming from that area. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of money down there, but there was also a lot of incredible talent. Well, I... I... I thought about that and thought about that. Bobby Brackett and I have talked about it. It's such a hard racetrack. It's flat and it's a third. Yeah. It's all rhythm. And you got to learn to pick the throttle up good there and, and back the quarter up and so forth. And I believe that's why the race is I say to myself, why was Pee Wee so good? Gil Hearn and Gil Hearn, Bobby yeah. Brackett, Dickie Anderson and Bobby Allison and Donnie Allison and Rags Carter and all them guys. How, how come they were so good? And that should. Crap old racetrack, you know? Yeah. It's not a good racetrack. We didn't have a very good playground in our backyard. Yeah. Palmetto Speedway and Palm Beach was way better high live, but yeah. that's why. You won two races in your career with your seatbelts came undone. I mean, I just <laughs> my pants and pulled into the, the first. The first yeah. time with Marty, yeah. off. was Marty's car at high live, and I came in, I was all cocky. I didn't have a seatbelt on. He said, <laughs> what did you just say? I said, the T-ball come on about halfway through. He said, I got my sleeve caught in it. He didn't have it turned right. Yeah. He said, no way. I said, yeah. He said, I ought to beat your butt right now. He said, if you ever drive my race car again with the seatbelt off, I'm going to beat the <laughs> living <laughs> out of you. And I said, I just want to race. He said, I don't really care if you want to race. Yeah. That was the first time. Now, the second time I was in my own car out in Texas. Does that make it safer? No. <laughs> no. And I'm leading the race. And I'm trying to win a point championship. I'm leading the race, and I don't want to stop. And I'm leading it. They had a caution. I come over, and I said, I'm trying to get this belt hooked up. What? I said, belt come loose. I'm trying to get the belt hooked up. And Ray says, what are you talking about? I said, seat belt come loose. It's off. 
He thought you might be talking code. I said, are you getting, getting ready to restart? I said, Ray, just run down and sit there with the spotters and tell them I have no seat, but I'll let them go. I'm not going to race them. But I am going to stay the lead lap. Yeah. <laughs> I'll race them that hard. Yeah. So he told them all that, and then we were on about 15, 20 laps. That belt was off, and I said, oh, this is stupid. This but you still, good. but you didn't stop. No, I ain't stopping. So, jeez! <laughs> oh, finally, the caution come back out. And I pulled off the side. And I got the balls back on. I went to the back. We won it. You won it. I won it. Dang. Of course you did. Uh, yeah, but if I had to pull out, I wouldn't want it. <laughs> That's right. I guess so. I he don't, I don't pull, know. I'm he wouldn't have pulled out neither. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. know. I freaked out. I, I don't know. They, you know, they got rules these days yeah. that probably make you. Which makes me Just wonder. Just don't tell how, them about it. <laughs> <laughs> Those in-car cameras will do something to you. I mean, yeah, I, w- yeah. I wonder how well you would fare today. Like, like if you were racing in this generation and these kids, let's forget the seatbelts and stuff, but just in today's, uh, you know, race cars. I mean, you guys took race cars and made them your own. I mean, you would, could you do it today we, and apply everything that you were so good at? His dad and I and all of us way back, we built our own race cars. I mean, it's tubing off the rack. We welded it. We built our own cars. We built our own spindles. We get four or five spindles from a junkyard and build a spindle out of it. I built a fixture. I built fixtures and jigs for leaf springs to rate them. And we used to use a bottle jack with a gauge on it and a piece of aluminum at the right front tire and drag it up, drag it up, pull it in until it pulled and read it and see what the split was before we had scales. Mm. I mean, we had a bottle jack with a gauge before we ever had scales, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> but we were that far ahead of buddy. Then we'd flat put the car from the front to the back and jack stands under it and that's Bobby so, Allison. So, so, so your answer is probably not because they don't do that these days, you know. <laughs> I, I still work with late model teams right now as do far you? as bump springs and bump rubbers and, okay. and packers and all that. Yeah, and shocks and all that. I still do all that. Okay. Yeah, I can so still you, do all that. Yeah, but, you, but could you drive? I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> We're putting a Seneca car together with Mike Garvey right now. Oh. In Pensacola. Okay. But Terry wants me to make a lap with a car and so does Garvey. Because you just got to drive this go-kart. You got to drive this. You got to drive this. I'm done. This is recently. Yeah, no, yeah, we're doing it right now. Oh, put a, okay. Put another so, car so together right now. All right. So so when that car's done, we go to Berlin. I'm gonna make some laps. I don't care. I'm gonna make some laps. I just want to set the hot rod go. Sure. I want to see what that car feels like. So, I mean, would any of us be surprised if we come back and find out he he he, he laid down the record tra- the track <laughs> record at <laughs> seventy one years old? Ever. Well, yeah. Well, just, here's the deal. Just I'm digging. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably picking one of the hardest asphalt tracks in the country. Yeah, Berlin. True. True. Dick Trickle went there twice, and the second time he went, to knocked the motor on the car and set the car on fire. Yeah. Burned the car down. Uh, give you 30 minutes, you'll have it figured out. <laughs> 30 minutes. Maybe 45. What I just want to sit in the thing and make a few laps, that's all. You still got it. You got that. You still got that thing inside. That's what's so hard for me to go with a show car, to go to Batmobile someplace and do a, a boat sighting or whatever. All the work to get that thing unloaded and set it all up and not get to make a lap. Right. <laughs> Batmobile, you know I mean? man, that thing is I mean, a I, legend. Just making a lab, you just all your frustrations and everything that's inside you goes away because you just get tunnel vision. You get in just what you're doing, and it just, yeah. you know. You talk about uh, your your experience uh, with fans throughout the book. Uh, yeah. Getting ugly, getting <laughs> abusive, like at Middletown one night when Buzzy Rudiman's car caught your tire and he flipped. Yeah. Uh, the fans like an outsider coming in and beating their hero every. Occasionally, but not for a while. all. But not all. Just for a while. You win too much, you become a villain. Yeah. Uh, after a feature win in South Florida, someone threw a cinder block off an overpass. I know. And what busted the windshield I... out of your truck. Yeah. Um, I mean, for the longest time. Let uh, me tell you that story real quick. Yeah, yeah. let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Story. I beat Dickie. I beat Pee Wee. I was driving Pee Wee's car. Yeah. And this tomorrow, I had a good year tire test. 
And he kind of left me out, and I was doing all the tests for Goodyear. So I went, he called me, for, need more wheels. Bring wheels. I said, I want to bring the car. Bring the car. Well, they drew straws, and I got the good set of tires. That's right. So I, I beat him. Well, he wouldn't even talk to me. Shut the elevator door in my face. I said, hell with him. I'm going home. I was with Uncle Herbert. Tell me. We loaded up, and we were headed south. And the guy throws a block off the bridge, busts the windshield all in our face. I'm, what Are you the driving? Could have killed, killed Herb you. Was, Uncle Herbert's driving. He pulled off the side of the road. He just wigged out. Made a U-turn and went across the road, went back. I said, what are we doing? He said, I'm going to kill him. I said, whoa. whoa. Go back. He turned around and come back and pulled off the side of the road. And he ran up the hill and had a nine millimeter and he started unloading that thing. I'm begging him to stop, but you're going to kill somebody. I'm trying to kill him. What did you do to us? <laughs> what did you do to us? I said, whoa, this is bad. You know, come on, we'll just get a windshield for this thing and get home. Yeah. So we got some duct tape out and taped her up and got to the house and bought a new windshield. So what? So for the longest, I don't for for the longest time in your career, you had a difficult relationship with fans at particular tracks. Um, crowds, you know, would would give you the finger, boo you. Oh yeah, you would you were given spit a, on me. You yeah. were yes, yeah, sp- spit on you. Really, you were giving the officials the finger, and the crowd thought you were doing that. I've done that before. No, no, um, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was get I got uh, I was getting thrown out of a race at Hickory Motor Speedway and flipped off the tower. And obviously the fans are in between me and the tower, and oh, they, yeah. they thought I was giving them the bird. So that ruined my reputation at Hickory for about a decade. Um, you ever been banned from a racetrack? Oh, yeah. I lived that out for life. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I won a tournament lifer there, and afterwards I was at the Cantley retired. But Larry was the president at the time, and a lot of politics. They took the race from me. I kept the trophy. I said, well, okay, we can, go ahead. I'll get the trophy. Bring your trophy back or you're out of here for life. I said, I'm bringing your trophy back. And I thought about it. So I'm home for the winter. I've got a good ride. I could win a bunch of races. This is stupid. Just go eat some crap and do what you got to do. Yeah. So I went back out to the board beating humble pie. And, yeah, 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 whatever you want to do. I give the trophy back. That killed me. Yeah, because I give trophies to all the kids and stuff. I don't right. care. I used to, I'd rather race for the trophy than the money. He race for a living. And, uh. So I get a trophy back to him and pissed me off. They had a 50 lapper like two weeks later and Brack's driving off. He passed me in the outside and went on. And I couldn't catch him, couldn't do nothing, just it was over. And about five laps ago, he coasted off into the infield, broke the quick change gears, and I won it. I won that trophy twice. Yeah. <laughs> I just told you. I got, you got, you got, I got your it trophy back. back. I got it back. And I got thrown on a Nazareth for that. But I came down the front. The I came down the front straight up with the opposite direction doing it. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. that was probably what Some did. Probably. <laughs> and they were getting ready to start the race. I came along three and four. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had won the qualifier for Nazareth for Syracuse, and we figured oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we, Nazareth was a qualifier for the big Sy- Syracuse, for Syracuse race. race. Not won right. that. We went back and we were testing a set of injectors, Lucas time injectors, which was on gas because you could run constant flow on gas, but you could make them work. Right. So we got yeah. time injectors to put on it. The ink was still wet on the paper, outlawing it. Nazareth. So they made that no. rule just for you that yeah, day? That day. Yeah, that, that day. day. That day. Yeah. And so what did and you here do? Here I am representing them. Yeah. But and, and then did what did you do then? Because you said that ultimately got do? you kicked. Yeah. What did you do? Come down to front of Australia, shoot them all a bird. <laughs> they knocked the fence down and come over the fence, and it was ugly. It wasn't nice. I know that. <laughs> so then he said, You're out of here, man. You're, you're done. Jerry Frigid, you're done for life. That's it. Yeah. And Perry all called him up and talked to him, my, my boss. And, well, anyway, we're going to let him come back to come over here and apologize to everybody. I said, you had, oh, yeah, they wanted you to apologize. Yeah, so I bumped on the front straightway with my boss apologizing to the world, you know? What was that like? 
Hard. How does the race car drivers don't apologize a no. whole lot? I don't no, know if y'all know don't. this or not, yeah. but uh, no, we're always right. You're always right. So <laughs> they made you get on the loudspeaker and apologize to the crowd? Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> hey, the key is you apologize to the crowd, not to the tower, though, right? One of the – yeah. One of the, <laughs> I think exactly. one of the biggest signs – It wasn't It wasn't about the crowd. It was about the tower. Right? I think one of the biggest signs of respect that you can show a driver is to put a bounty on him. In 1994, you had a $500 bounty on yourself at New Smyrna Speedway, meaning anybody that came in there and beat you got an additional $500 from the track. Is that? Do you remember all the bounties well, or the highest <clears throat> bounty that you might have had? That that was one of them, but it had done it several times. But I used to tell Clyde all the time, I said, how come I don't get paid extra? <laughs> you know, when I win. <laughs> Clyde said, no, no, no. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what right? do you need? But uh, that was a pretty neat deal. We won 67 out of 79 races that year. That really cool. Yeah, that, that See, that's was where what? that thousand number comes from. Yeah. If you win 67 races a year. Yeah, that, that chips away at that big number. What year was that? 90, 94. 94. 94. Yeah. So 94, you go down there, you win 60. And I ain't quit. I'd quit. I'd retired. Yeah. Yeah, this working, is your I'm retirement working tour. <laughs> working for James with, with all that, you know, and I went down to help people out. I struggled with a car and stuff, a handkerchief car, and it was all myself. He said, but drive it to New Smyrna next week. I said, I'm about getting involved up again and all that. No, no, he's not going to drive it. I drove it and all the vial springs broke. It was horrible. I said, people, what are you doing? You're a racer. You know about this. You've won races and races and races. you, you got to get the hot rod right in the garage. So we worked and we worked and we worked. Went back and we won and we won and we won and we won. And every week he'd, he'd show up to the racetrack with a car running in the trailer. He'd fire it up, boiling oil up in the trailer. The door would be open. I'd be waiting on him. He'd get there in time. Practice is over. He said, you don't know practice. You've raced on it years. I said, yeah, but you've changed everything on it this week. Said, well, we tried a couple things. Yeah. And you go out, you know, for the heat race, and you'd hang on, and you'd win it. But come back and say, hey, put the car back. What are you doing? You raced all the way through the 60s and 70s, trying to strive to get your first opportunity in NASCAR. Your first cup race was 1979 Daytona 500. Yes. Oh, yeah. we got That's an ironic, that. it's, it's an iconic race, obviously, because of the finish between uh, Richard Petty and I mean, uh, Donnie Allison, Richard Petty winning the race, Kale Yarbrough, Bobby Donnie and all them fighting down there in the corner. A few <laughs> questions. Uh, you're driving for Billy Harvey. You you blew a few motors in speed weeks. Eventually, you got a short track block from Grant Adcox. Exactly. Mm. And, uh, or a short block from Grant Adcox. So the block itself is destroyed in the other engines. You borrowed the heads from one blown motor. You borrowed the intake from the other blown motor to put that together to be able to qualify for the race. Obviously, that's not how you're used to doing it, <laughs> no, right? Because no. you, you're for, you know, all your short track stuff is a first-class operation. Five motors. Five we, motors. We, we broke, and we were down in the infill and on fire across the front. I don't to tell you how exciting that gets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how I didn't kill myself or hit somebody else or wreck really bad, I don't know. That's, in, that's finally before I the said, race. Yeah. That, that's all week, the I race. said, finally, I said, I'm done with that. I'm not doing no more of that, guys. Yeah. And that's when we got the Grand Acock motor. That was the EH motor. So this is the 1979 Daytona We went in the top five with that thing all day long until yeah. it broke. But this is fascinating to me field, because I think, I think one of the underlying things through your book, and I think that's important to note for your career, was that it, you wanted to get to NASCAR your whole life. Oh, yeah. You, you were killing it in late models and killing it in modifieds, but let it be known that you were trying to get to the top. I had a chance. NASCAR Cup. To run in Indianapolis cars several times. And, and I bailed out. I didn't do it. Turn it down. Okay. Good rides so, with AJ. So you get to this chance to to race in the 1979 Daytona 500, which is an iconic race. Oh, and yeah. it, this is your first race, correct? Yep. And Dale's talking about you blowing five motors and all that <laughs> stuff. But I'm curious because 
I'm reading about it, and it doesn't seem like at any time you stop to recognize that I made it. I'm, I'm like, I've been trying my whole life to get here. Did you, or were you so laser focused on that race car and the fact that you were going through a motor or two? Oh yeah. Did, did you stop? Did you make it? Did you uh, trying to make the race? Because that's obviously. It. But it, at any point, did you? have satisfaction or fulfillment just for a second that you were in the Daytona 500? I think when the satisfaction finally come about is when we we run up there with Daryl and everybody running the top five and you could actually see the lead car. You know what I mean? Like, holy Christ, how'd this happen? With everything that happened, it, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> right. And I had Mario Rossi as a crew chief and I remember it rained and it rained and it rained and we started the race and the racetrack was wet and I said, look, I really want to do this but do I want to run 200 mile an hour on a white racetrack? Yeah. And this thing was 35 so, degrees tight yeah. by that flat back window, that Buick. So it was ugly in the beginning. And it pushed and it pushed. You get up there and you, I'm going to get in the water and really wreck it, you know? Yeah. And I run about, I don't know, five or six laps. I got on the radio and I said, ah, this ain't good. And Roger said, just drive it, you was. Just drive it. It'll get better. And he changed everything on the car. Yeah. Everything. I never the night got a practice. The race, yeah. yeah. I, but. He'd been around the block and knew everybody. And it got better and it got better and it got better. And I said, you know, we're driving it to the front. I said, wow, this is pretty good. So, I mean, it was a bumpy, bumpy, bumpy week. And then we broke and crashed and we took Pearson out. And it was raining to get all the grass. It was terrible. How far, how far into the race did, you, did that crash happen? Almost about three quarters of the way through the race. Okay, so yeah. you're, you're, you're moving right along. Yeah. Um, were you there at the end? I mean, do you recall being there uh, to – to, I mean, the Allisons were your buddies. I'm you knew you, about that. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you, you what happened. With we got up. We got up by the office there afterwards, and Richard Schultz was up there with us, and we were talking, and Bob Bohilly came up, and he was pissed off because they got involved in a wreck and screaming out. I mean, I chased him around the car to beat his little butt. <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up driving for them. Yeah, you did. But they, they grew up around me, you know yeah. what I mean? The other fight. Yeah. The other fight, the fight we haven't had. <laughs> the other fight. Yeah. The, the, the not-so-famous fight. Did, but did you, when, when the Allisons got into it with Kale, where were you? Had you left the track already? I was there with Harv. No, we were in the pits. We were in you the were? Pits, yeah. Did you see it? I'd seen it, but I, I mean, I'd seen what happened with Kale and Donnie. And out of all the people I ever raised with in my life, including his dad, and his dad would intimidate you. I'm talking about intimidate you now. Yeah. Donnie Allison intimidated me more than anybody. Really? I, I said that huh. one time to him. He said, Gary, why? <laughs> I said, every day you never watched you race. You know, yeah. said, I never thought I was intimidating. I said, yeah. Bobby could run with me, and I could run with Bobby. I could run with your dad, Pearson, any of them. But always with Donnie, I was intimidated. But I grew up around Donnie, right in the back of his pickup truck. I don't know how many fights Donnie was in at the races. So it was just another, just another Donnie fight. That's all but, you're but, looking at. <laughs> but Donnie, but but yeah, Donnie, Donnie was aggressive. Yeah, Bobby was smooth, and Donnie yeah. was aggressive. Yeah. Right. They're still like that, aren't they? <laughs> you know, Bobby's – what about Richard Petty? Did you ever uh, – I mean, because he goes and wins that race. Do you, did, what was your recollections of I racing against Richard? made a big mistake with Richard Petty at Michigan. Oh, really? Real big mistake. Practice him. But I think there was some difficulty there with Pete Hamilton being my driving oh, coach. Oh, that's right. And driving for Richard because it just – Richard never really cared for me. Oh. And then I got underneath him here down the back straightaway at Michigan. I followed Buddy Becker by – he didn't know I was there to come down, and I got him in the door, and he almost wrecked. <laughs> Practice was over. I didn't want to go back in the pits. Yeah. They said, now come around and receive and all. Gary, do yourself a favor and stay right here for a while. <laughs> and finally, we pushed the car, and then everybody laid their tools down, and he's going, 
Richard is? Yeah. So I go across there, and he's leaning on the tires. He says, where do you think you're at, Isla Speedway? <laughs> I said, Richard, I'll be drafting by you. <laughs> well, buddy, I, I got two tires on a flat to keep running into you. He said, it's practice. I got to win practice, too. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> I, I feel like if you're the fastest car in practice, and you sit on a pole, and you need every lap, and you win the race, let's have a beer. If you don't want to have a beer, we'll fight. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. There's other options, by the way. Yeah. It ain't yeah. yeah, to well, be a beer fight. But anyway. No, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, so the king wasn't happy there, with you there. He wasn't You're happy. there to win. Yeah. Right? When when was the first time you met Dale Earnhardt? The first time I met your dad. Mm. I'm going to say Metrolina. Okay. Really? Yeah. That's the first time I'd seen you. You were there with your, your sister and had a couple of <laughs> boxes. Yeah. And you guys were struggling. <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to walk over. I, I'm going to tell you the story. And I really wanted to walk over and try to help you all because I was going pretty good there. Yeah. Your dad was there. And I said, you don't need my help. He, he's got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it took you all a while, but you got it. You know, yeah. I mean? It's like Davey Allison. I kind of tutored him. Donnie gave up on him. He called. I was standing right there, and he called Bobby. He said, I'm done. I can't, I can't deal with this kid. No more. I'm done. Well, the kid's there by himself. Yeah. So I put him under my wing and, and, and helped him a lot and got him going. And I felt like you were the same way, you know, from your dad. And your dad was busy. And if I was there, why couldn't I help you, you know? Yeah. Y'all raced one – of the, one of the races that uh, I first ever saw you drive was the 1981 Charlotte 300 uh, Lake Mall Sportsman race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. That's the one where dad called you the dirty driving SRB. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, amazing race. And – a little bit of me was had become a fan of you that day. Mm. Um, even though you lean, you and Dad beat and bang to the finish, I don't know. There was just something. I love the car. It's a beautiful race car, and I thought your style was very similar to Dad's. You were aggressive, and uh, I like that type of race car driver. And you learned of Dad's comments right after that race from Donnie Allison in Victory Lane. Donnie Allison come over and reached in the car and went in my mouth. Yeah, let go, let go. You know, he said, "Whatever you do." Keep your mouth shut," <laughs> she said. "That is the crown prince that you just got into and wrecked." Yeah, that is the crown. I said, "No shit, I know, you know." But it was one of them deals that Dell was real good about getting on your right rear, and he's real good about getting on that right rear and that arrow, yeah, and that void off that windshield and that nose. It, it's still there; it hadn't changed. Right, and he was just on the right rear, and I moved up, and he got me in the right rear on the other side, start finish line at Charlotte. Well. The other track goes that way, comes back. You're going to wreck. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I, but I got lucky. I let go and grabbed him, let go and grabbed him. Mark Martin said he seen all the smoke. He thought somebody blowed up. Just, <laughs> then he looked and he said, Blue's still going straight. Mm. Well, then he drove up alongside me. I said to myself, We're going to go way off in three here now because <laughs> I, I had to really pedal hard to be alongside of him getting in. You yeah. Know? And he got up here and he got in loose stuff. He was in Robert G's car. Yep. Robert comes down and said, Blue, what the hell's wrong with you? I said, well, I said, we just got racing hard. We got racing too hard. <laughs> were, were you guys beating and banging before the last lap, yeah. or was this all on the yeah, last well, lap? Yeah, well, I was kind of like the new kid on the block. And him and Jody were both good. Jody yeah. Ridley? Jody Ridley, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mark was right there, but Mark was behind us a little bit. And I think I had a better hot rod than both of them. Mm. I was going to win. I mean, I, I got a hot rod here to win. Yeah. And they uh, they teamed up on me. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know? And, <laughs> that was a tough one. Was that the first time you had raced against Dale Earnhardt, or no. had you ra- you'd no, raced? No, we run a couple of everything. Yeah, we'd, no, we'd race a bunch before that. that. Okay, and I remember. You got to remember that, that, that El Senior was my hero. I mean, I took his his ground all the time. He's, he's one of the best racers in the world, man. So I, I remember. Um, 
I don't remember what year this was. I was somewhere between four to six years old wow. and went to Metrolina Motor Speedway, and it was dirt. And I remember Dad was there. He was in Cup at this time, so this was somewhere in the early 80s. Uh, but you were running and just destroyed everybody. Barry, Barry Wright's car. Really? Yeah, Buddy Griffin owned it. Was that a white car? White car with 12 on it. It was. So, so I remember like s- s- images of that day. Dad was driving somebody else's car. Might have been, might have been Robert G's car. I'm not sure, but run second to you by about a straightaway back. Everyone else was not even in the same lap. <laughs> but uh, and I remember that was right around that same time frame as the uh, Charlotte 300. And so I'd seen you run Charlotte, and now you're at the dirt track dominating. That was my first recollection of you. And and racing dad, so I don't I don't know how many times y'all we obviously raced against each other in the Cup Series quite a bit. That it was written and said by many people, uh, even as recently as the '90s, that you were the Dale Earnhardt of the short tracks. Mm. Is that a is that a that's a compliment? That's a compliment. So um, and you and you talk about how you appreciate you know dad as a driver and although he flipped him off once, you did flip. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> hold on a second, we got to hear about that. Yeah, I don't remember that. Talladega, nineteen eighty one. Talladega five hundred. Oh. Jody really, yeah. <laughs> and now he remembers. Jody came from the back. Yeah, I did make the race for Buck Valley Spring qualifying. And we started on a provisional rocket ship. Rocket ship come from the back, and at first time of the night, if you really come from the back and pass it, but I was going to the front, and he's going like. Getting I'm line. gonna buy you. Yeah. Get in line. He no. wanted you to get in line with him. And exactly. You, and just where are you going this early? Every, why didn't Why didn't you just pass him and I just? Did. Move? I, I know did. you did, but you had to hang a bird out the window yeah, at yeah, the same yeah, time. He wanted me to get in line behind him. No, I'm gonna get in line behind you. I'm gonna buy you. Yeah, <laughs> this you, is my so big you kids match you. <laughs> I I never read a story about anybody flipping off Dylan. I'm sure it happened, but yeah. I never knew anybody. Well, did yeah, what well, he did right back, don't you? Did he do it? He did. Of course he did. He gave me the same motion at We were at Michigan. We were at Michigan yeah. in that race where we run side by side of the finish line. Oh, the I Rock race? race? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The whole freaking race, every single lap, he's giving me that line. Oh, uh, yeah. Get in line. Stay in line. line. Stay in line. Don't pass me. Stay behind me. Stay behind me. I'm like, I'm in a hornet's nest back here. Yeah. They're all over my quarter panels, and he's out front, and I'm protecting him. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not liking this. You get, it'd be better if you were behind me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you guys and yeah. your Earnhardt yeah. stories. Did you ever have any good Earnhardt stories? Every time I mean, he raced was a good Earnhardt. No, story. I know that. I know. <laughs> but did me? You, I mean, did you guys ever have any good uh, get along? Good? Did no, you? We ever, got along great. We got along good. Oh yeah. Oh, we always talked and hung out and you know yeah. One of the funniest things, Dale and I literally laugh at this when we were talking about it. But when when and I'm jumping ahead, but this is an Earnhardt story and one of my favorites is in the book is when you were coming back into the garage uh, after your first stint. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, away and and and. Dale Earnhardt looks at you he's like, are you back? Oh, and then when you said you were back. He went, look here. I walked out. I said, what's up, bud? And he put his hand and said, good to see you back. He said, are you going to come back and race with us? Uh, I said, maybe. I, said, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. That deal at Charlotte probably cost me a golden opportunity to drive for your dad. Really? Oh. I would have loved to have driven for your dad. Why do you, you ever remember coming to New Smyrna and getting on top of the truck no. watching me race? Yeah, he used to model? watch the races from up on your hauler. Yeah. He, he called me. He, I be wandering around in pits and he'd be like, come here. And I'd go, what? what's up? You racing? And I said, yeah, we won a couple of already. He said, I'm going to come over tonight. I said, well, come on, come to the gate. And when you get to the gate, have him call me and come with a golf cart and get you. Put you on trucks and nobody knows you're even there. Oh. Yeah, I don't have to tell you how that deal goes. <laughs> he'd get on the truck and he'd, he'd watch me race. And that was, to me, like to have him watch me race? Are you something. kidding me? That's something. 
Yeah, but he he enjoyed watching me. I guess because I was out of control most of the time. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. think. I think. I think he felt the same way I felt. He liked your style. It was so similar to his. Y'all were you were Real aggressive. Close. Yeah, you were aggressive. People call you the, the Dale Earnhardt of the short tracks. A lot of people, uh, you know, compare you to Tim Richmond. I think you're kind of a mer a blend of both. Um, y'all all y'all all sort of had that same sort of. Well, Tim and I were real good friends. Yeah, Tim drove for me and stuff, and Tim was a cool guy. He yeah. did one hell of a race driver. Mm. So, we want to talk about uh, the the drug smuggling era of your life. Now, mm-hmm. um, at this point in your life, obviously, you know you you cover this really well in the book, and uh, which I was really interested about it. For me, it's exciting. Uh, it's 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 you know we it, we see movies get made about this stuff and uh, sensationalized and so forth. Um, for, for me to know somebody in racing that was so successful, yet had this whole other life that was incredibly dangerous. Uh, and it, I just want to know at this point in your life, are you, I don't know, are you, have you come to terms with, you know, obviously that, that, that took a lot away from you. And I understand, I can't even imagine uh, how that affected your life, but... Now, now you're here. You're here to podcast. You're 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 wrote a book. You're doing a documentary. Are you at a point in your life where you're you're comfortable, you know, discussing that part of your history? Oh, for sure. And and oh yeah, for yeah, sure. And sort of using it as a message. Oh yeah. You know, they don't want to get involved in that. Right. Mm. So, ha- at what part of your life, uh, at what point in your life did you become a guy capable of doing that? And I in the book. A couple people come up to you at points in your career and say, man, this is something you'd be good at. And it was kind of maybe tongue-in-cheek, and then it become more serious conversation. And you said at one point, "I need I, you know, I, the money sounds good. I'm going to go give this a run. All i got to do is count the bales. That's not a big deal. I'm just a counter. So at what point in your life did, it, did you sort of move from a guy that would go count bales to somebody who thought, man, I'm going to get a little further into this and make a little bit more it, money. It wasn't further. You know, here's what happens. So you deal is you start out and I want to make $100,000 just to get my bills paid off. Right. You know, so I raced for a living. Mm-hmm. And it was hard at the time. Yeah, a lot of debt. A lot of debt. And uh, you go and you, you you pitch bells and catch some bells and count and you see everything everybody's got and what they're doing. It takes money to fuel all this. Yeah. Without money, you're not fueling this. This isn't happening. And that's where the money come from to get me to Daytona in 79. Right. I don't believe to this day that it's any worse than moonshine. Sure. And this whole sport was basically built on moonshine. And I can look at myself in the mirror and deal with what I was doing because it was weed. It was marijuana. It wasn't cocaine. It wasn't heroin. It wasn't none of that crap. And I had an opportunity to do all that because my credibility was so good. When I told you I was going to be there, I was there. When I told you I was going to do it, I did it. And my equipment was like my race cars. Right. It finished because if you, if you can't finish, you can't win. Yeah. And with that, when you don't finish and you throw it over, it floats with you. <laughs> You're not getting rid of it. You know what I mean? So you got to finish. And I, I did my smuggling just like I raced. Yeah. So you talked about starting at your first, the first time you ever got involved in any of that, they, the guy asked you to go on the boat as a counter just to count the bales. And then you created your own operation. How big was that operation at its peak? It got pretty. Had, I mean, it's like him, that train running down the track and just yeah. going and going and going, and everything gets bigger, 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 bigger. Were you You've been al- there? You're there. You yeah. know. Were you always on the? Were you always running a boat, or did it become I, so I, big? No, I got to where other people driving the boats, yeah. and, but I was there. I was there for every one of them. 
So it never went. The operation never went to the racetrack without me being there. Yeah. But explain to explain to the to the uh, fans listening to this podcast when you're talking about running a boat. What exactly are you talking about here? Like, for the fans listening to this that don't know this smuggling story, tell the, tell them what you were doing. Well, basically, what you do is you get the equipment and you had a connection, and the connection was good. I drove his hot rods. We all know what that was about. And when it's time to go, you go. They tell you to go. And you got to go to a certain place. You got to go to Fiery Rock, or you got to go uh, to Bimini, or you got to go to North Lighter. You got a point you got to go. But you got to remember that's a stick sticking up out there. We didn't have GPS then. We had a compass and right. a, a watch. <laughs> you throw a line out in the water if you broke right. down and see how where the current was and just how much you were drifting, how much you had changed course. And it was pretty hard to go out there in the middle of the night. It's dark out there. There's no lights. And I mean dark. If it's a cloudy night, there's no stars, there's no moon. I mean, you can't see your hand right there. So it was a challenge. It really was a challenge. I went, like, when I first got the boat, 24-foot Sea Ray, I went 13 times and almost lost my house and had my race cars all put up. I couldn't afford to buy tires for them. And I just wouldn't quit. I persevered. Bobby Allison taught me that a long time ago. Yeah. There's no quit. So you went the first several trips and didn't even get a bail? Nothing. How? I mean, I don't understand that. Like, how me. come? Because they didn't show up. They didn't make it. Oh. They broke down or they got busted. <laughs> or, yeah. So you Where? were losing money. You're doing this to get oh. money and you're losing money. Oh, like, kill me. Hey, before we get back to Gary, let's hear from my friends over at Valvoline. As many of you probably know, I was sponsored by Valvoline for several years. And I even drove a Valvoline car at Darlington back in 2015. That baby was hot. Good-looking race car. A lot of drivers are sponsored by motor oils, but Valvoline, they were, they were different. And they were more than just a logo on the suit uh, or a logo on the quarter panel of the car. Valvoline, they were a true partner, and they were always really hands-on, helping us make our engines perform better. They would even send teams over to Charlotte, working directly with our engine guys in the garage to squeeze out a few more horsepower out of our engines and we literally mixed oils together depending on the track or the engine or the horsepower and what we're trying to accomplish with the torque and so forth and it didn't matter if we were running plate races road courses short tracks or intermediates they always had solutions to make our stuff run better valvoline even helped me get the monkey off my back at martinsville in 2014 oh yeah where i got my first win ever on nascar's oldest track that's why valvoline is the only motor oil i trust in my engines and it's why you should trust them in your engines too from high mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup, head over to Valvoline.com slash Dale to find the product. Spec for your engine. That's Valvoline.com slash Dale. You know, there's something about this. I mean, like you had some lines in there in the book that were like you you used a, a lyric from a song, Smuggler's Blues, and it's but the because it's, you know, basically saying that. Easy. Smuggling is easy, and it's easy money. And then yeah. you say, you call BS that. You're like, nothing's easy. So my question to you is, the risk and the reward, at some point it seemed like you, you mentioned enough things. You talk about 20-foot C's, and you're talking about your, your, you know, 13 times, going 0 for 13 and get before making money. When did it, did it not seem like this isn't worth it? You know, maybe this isn't worth it. I have my theory is you were trying to get the cup. And you were trying to pay your ride to cup, and so that exactly. is exactly that. That's the why question. Why I did it exactly. Um, but at some point, did it seem like well, this isn't going to get me to cup? Yeah, you busted. You're not going to get there. 
You know, and I never got busted. I got told on, you know, and it was a dry conspiracy. It didn't happen. We were there, and it didn't happen. I come home, put everything away, and went to Syracuse and won Syracuse. You know, but, like, when we finally got successful, when you drive through that cut and you get that stuff unloaded and you get it in the house and you get it back to people that own it, it's like when in Daytona or when in Annapolis 500. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, so the was, adrenaline rush is yeah. absolutely incredible. See, I never— that I never got that from reading the book. I mean, I, I I did understand that you got an adrenaline rush from it, and that you found some thrill in it. But I <sighs> I never I never took. That's the first time I'm hearing that. You know, you once you were done with a job, it was like all right, winning all right. a race. Hell yeah, it's like winning a race. Right. Incredible. It's like afterwards having a beer with everybody. Yeah. You know. That's fascinating. But it's hard. It's, there's no end to it. Like, you know, once you get it home, you got to get it offloaded. You got to get it in the house. You got to scale it. You got to go through it. You got to get your percentage out. You got to get the rest of the people who own it. Now you got to get it out the front door. The front door is different than the back door. The back door is a boat. The front door is the street. Mm. So you got to come up with a deal yep. on the front, a camping trailer that's there, you know, with floors all done in it and everything out of it, and put a door in the house so you get to the trailer. And you, they got to take the trailer in and out every weekend, and like they're camping with it. So the neighbors out there think that that's what's going on. Yeah, you know. Oh, that was or fascinating, actually. Because a sprinkler they, system company digging <laughs> in there, or, or putting plants in, or a roofing company. I mean, it had to be something to get you got to get it out. He got just as creative. He's, all the creativity oh, yeah. he was putting in race cars, he was putting them also it in seems those trucks. Exhausting. Like it how the, the the charade the, right seems exhausting. To try to cover up the actual operation. Well, how, how about the back when the boat's tied up? The docks and neighbors. You take them fishing. You take them to have a drink, and they bring it back. You, the day you come in, they're standing on top of it. And we're cooking fish and cleaning fish. You know what I mean? Like that had to make you nervous. Oh, a little bit. How about how about, <laughs> how about when when you know you're over in the Bahamas and the cops are standing on top of it? <laughs> you know. I mean, <laughs> On top of your boat? Yeah. On top of the drugs. On top, on top they come down, of, they top come of down the every cargo. night and have a beer with us and talk and stand right on top of it and start at eight feet. Uh, you know, like, haven't y'all got some place to go? <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of the craziest stories from the smuggling days uh, for me in the, in the book is uh, a close call you had where the boat filled up with gasoline. Oh. And um, tell that story, and, and, and I want to ask after you're done, if that, is that the is that the the one the real scare. The pinnacle of the scare. Was that was a pretty good scare. I've had some <laughs> other ones, but that one there, we had moved two times, three times at trying to get in line with the freighter to get what we had to get. And we got moved around by North Light and, and we got loaded. And that was a small load. It was probably 2,000 pounds or something. It was a 20 or 30 foot boat. And I saw gas. What the heck is that? We put a, a bigger tank in it and covered it in carpet and rod holders and stuff. Look right. Well, kid at work for me, did the lines and stuff. Evidently, the tie wrap broke or he didn't tie it off enough, and the line got into the balancer. I flipped it back up, and I look, and the gas is all the way up to the alternators. If we'd ever tried to start it, it would have blown up and killed us all. And I had a rider with me, a good friend of mine. And you're still at the dock? No. no you're out, not, you're out, out in the water? Ocean. You're out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, about 70, 80 miles out. Okay. Uh, Christ. So we start bailing the gas out. Well, the gas just going to float with you. We build the gas out the best we can. I get on a handheld and I call it to look. I've got a problem, big problem. We need to get this shit off this boat and get it to somebody else. And I don't know what we're going to do here with this thing. 
to keep bailing, keep bailing. I'm going to go gather some soap for you, boats cleaner, and, you know, Dom works real good with that. So they go gather all, all they can get, all the boats cleaner, and Don everything everybody's got, because there's probably 20, 30 boats out there to do it. And he brings that to me. Well, when he bought that to me, I put the rider off on a boat with him. Yeah, so you, you, had since, you had a buddy on the boat. Yeah, I know since the boat I was blowing up here. Right. You'd have seen that. You'd have seen that explosion from Miami. You right. know. <laughs> so I put him off the boat. We bailed and put water in it, and bailed and put water in it, and bailed and, and I dump all this soap and boats cleaner in it. And I put some more water in it. And I wash it out and I fill it back up again. And go. It's gonna be easier way. And I think about it. And I said. I'm going to turn the switches back on. They're not supposed to, you know, they're waterproof. They shouldn't, they shouldn't ignite. And they should the bilge pumps. So I took the bilge pumps on and pumped it out and filled it up and pumped it out. Well, now with that, that tank leaking, the fuel line, we don't have the fuel we had. That's why right. that tank was in there. Right. So I borrowed about 10 gallons, and I, that's all I could get because everybody else already topped off. They bring their fuel with jerry doves. I said, wow, this is going to be close. So I start back, and I get all the way back, and I get about five miles out, and it shuts off. Mm. Oh, no. I think about it. I said, well, i got to take the floor up in this thing. I take the floor up. The tank was under it, and I take the tank apart. And the pickup goes down, and it's about that far down, and there's probably that much an inch of gas in the there's bottom. An inch so of gas in there's the gas leading there. there. Oh. So you I, had to fashion some more to the pickup. So, so a little, yeah, a little MacGyver here. So mm. I took the fill line apart off the ray cord, got me a piece of the clamp. Put it on the bottom, put it all back together, put the floor back in, put the council back over, bolt it back down. All right, here we go. I drive around in. While I get to where I'm supposed to be at the marina, and the cat that's running the travel lift is supposed to lift me out. I'm not there. They're going to use a forklift. You got to remember now, there's no fuel in the back of the thing, and all that's in the front. He lifts it out, and it's just going like this. <laughs> I'm going, oh, shit. And I grab the back, and I'm hanging on the back. He says, get away from that, man. You crazy. I said, nah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it if it dumps over, I'm done anyway. Right. You know, like so get away from that thing, man. I got away from it. I'm just watching it, watching it, watching it. Finally sets it on the trailer. I can never ever wait to get that thing out of the marine and get it back. <laughs> yeah. You know? I'd say so. Was that so you, you said there were some crazier uh stories and, and some closer calls. Do you remember any of those? Here's a real good one. They call me up, I'm at home, I'm in bed, and they got a 58-foot cruise craft, and it's got probably 15,000 pounds on it. <laughs> 15,000 pounds of drugs. And they, and they call me, marijuana, and they call me, oh, this thing's going down. I said, what do you want me to do? Well, we need some help. We need some help. Well, I'm putting a swimming pool at my house, and there's a foreign mud sucker there. I said, all right, I'm on my way. And I call a couple of my guys, and I have my wife put that mud sucker in the back of my dually, up wide open, all the way to stop, you know, Miami and I lived in Fort Lauderdale. And to get there, and this thing won't start. We're pulling it. We're pulling it. This thing's rolling over on its side now. Water's running out of portholes. All of a sudden, I hear sirens and all this. And here they come down the waterway chasing this boat. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you thought they were coming this, to y'all. This thing's going in. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, all this stuff floating on, you know, along the boat and up around the boat. What is? Just soap and, oh. and bilge cleaner and, and everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? <sighs> They came past us, and I'm looking at them. I'm just, I just stopped and stood still. They went down into the water, went and turned on, and checked them back the other way. And I said, where did they just go? They were filming a movie. Oh, my <laughs> oh, goodness. Holy <laughs> shit. Wow. Oh, my God. Finally, we got the mud sucker going. We got it pumped out, and then we saved it. Oh, my God. That's the closest. Do you have any idea how upset they would be if you sank behind the house with 15,000 pounds <laughs> of weed? They how would... upset. Yeah. yeah. How upset? Yeah. What do you think? 
Way upset. <laughs> like way upset. life or death upset. Way upset. Yeah. I had a partner that thought he could move everything and do this and do all that. And we have kept keeping a bunch of their stuff one time and they had him. They gathered him up heading for ransom. Damn. I said, Oh God, how did we get into this? You know? Yeah. But that's when you get out too far and you, you believe in people that do that and don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Did you, did you fear for your life, or were you fear for your no. getting caught? I feared for getting caught. But you never feared no. for your life? No, because no. I, listen to me. If you do the right thing, you don't steal. There's plenty of money there for everybody. Why would you want to steal from them? Mm. There's no sense in that. Right. And you do the right thing. You, you tell me you're going to be there, and you're there. Like I told them, I said, why well, do we get this big trip? I'm going to buy you all Rolexes, presidentials. That's nothing to them. You know what I mean? That's like a piece of bubble gum. Yeah. But for me to do what I said I was going to do, I bought, I don't know, 10 Rolexes. I couldn't believe it. Like, you really did it. I said, yeah, I told you I was going to do it. So I was, I, I was a candidate for all the time with them wanting me to do bigger, better things. And I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It seems like that you knew you knew at some point that the, the whole thing was going to unravel. Sooner or later. And, they followed us for four years. Right. Then. And so, it, that it, it, I mean, and, and during that time, are you thinking, I I want to get out of this. I'm too far in. I can't get out. Like, what was what's going through yeah. your mind? I was pretty close, I think, with the cup deal, with the 28 car. Yeah. And plus, I was there with Raymond Beetle, third with Reggie and Raymond on that. You know, Milwaukee and all that. And I had to bail. And they didn't understand, you know. Like, Raymond didn't understand. Gary can't. He can't. I said, God, dude, it's going to ruin it all for all of us. Right. I put Tim Richmond in the car. But, then I put Rusty when Tim went with Hendrick. I yeah. put Rusty in the car. But you're but in the smuggling game, you you knew it was going to come to an end. You knew the cops were were watching. What why why did why didn't you try to get out sooner? If you knew they were watching for four years, conspiracy like, is conspiracy. If it's five years, six years, four years, conspiracy, you and that's you what were, gets you. We were pretty good at what we did as far as getting in and, and doing everything right and people and house and all that. But you can't control that. Yeah. And People that's talking. what that's what gets you. But I don't understand. What, so so he felt question. like I get what you're telling me is when you learned that the cops were on your trail, you knew you were getting the time whether you stopped now yeah. or kept digging. When they come to arrest me, I run love within the five hundred, cut a tire down yeah. one the infield, all that. And they come at five o'clock in the morning and the first thing they said to me was, You got a better career in future than anybody we're arresting and we're arresting seventy people this morning. Oh wow. Yeah, a lot of people going down. But they've been four years. Yeah. When they come for you, buddy, they got it. Don't 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 you think? When you see, it's in the book here. When you see, United States government versus Gary Blue, that's your first clue. It gets yeah. your attention. How, how are you gonna beat the United States government? Yeah, nah, man. I, I, how much? I thought I could. You know, you make a little money. I like it's good attorneys. I, yeah. Right. And I could have won it. I should have almost won it. But they wouldn't sever me from the other nine defendants, and they were. You know, on tape yeah. and just uh, just bail lists and names everywhere. And I mean, oh my God, guilty of sin. Yeah. But that's the way it goes. You're yeah. in, you're in. Gary, I, I mean, my question the, the thing that Dale and I would ask each other is before we started reading the book, we were like, why would someone with this much talent and this much opportunity or, you know, promise uh, with, uh, 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 to get where he wants to go, get caught up with it. And then as you read the book, you realize this was what you call the shortcut plan or the or this was a way to get your there. dream. Finally and and get that there. answers the question why. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and that answers the question why. Um, 
but when it didn't happen, well, hold on. Before I ask that, can you somehow qualify us or quantify how much of this might have actually funded your racing? I mean, we talk about the number of wins, but like, I think you must have been in this more b- before that I even realized. So, like, how much of this do you think funded your career, percentage wise? 50% of it? My career, none. None. I wasn't involved in it. None. At the end. But that's, it, yeah, at the end, when we finally got to the cup race with Harvey and so forth, that, that's what helped us. And then, like, when we went to Syracuse in 1980 with a battle, there was money there to do it right. Yeah. I mean, so it, didn't, it takes buku money to make all this happen. <laughs> so so did, it didn't ever, ever contribute to your cup stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. It That's did. how I got That's, finally okay. got So it did. With, so with in, Harvey, yeah. In, in a way, you could say that that was a successful, your, whatever the path you chose, um, it helped you achieve it to a degree. Is that fair to say? Well, here's what I'm going to say. I got, yeah, I got the 75 car and got the racing and got to be there. And then Raymond Beatles seen me, and we got to become friends, and I'm drag races with him, and he wanted to get involved. And we got Reggie Jackson involved with me. We're pretty well on our way. We had Barry Dawson had some good people put together. Barry Dawson, yeah. Yeah, good people. Well, they went on won a championship with Rusty in old Milwaukee and blah, 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 blah. Well, I knew that I was fixing to be indicted, but I had my attorneys, and he said, you're 300%. I said, 300% of 1,000? He said, no, 300, I'm 100. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Boy, they were bad odds. Oh, to, to clarify, you, you, if I remember right, you're talking about the chances you had to beat this, right? Yeah, no. And he I'm said you indicted. had 300% of being indicted. Right, right, right. It was and, a and he deal. said, no, you're 300%. Right. Uh, in other words, you have no chance of, of no. getting out of this you're one. Good. You're, you're going to be arrested. You're, you're going to be arrested. Right. There was also a chance, though. But you had to do something that you didn't want to do. No, I wouldn't do it. I haven't done it and yeah, wouldn't that, do it and not going to do it. Yeah, so there's you were real careful. And you talk about that in the book, being careful about certain details of the crimes and the individuals involved. Yeah. Um, is that why you feel like there's no fear of any danger for you, even today? Oh, yeah. Like you, have, you don't walk around looking over your shoulder no, at all. Not at all. Really? And never did? Nope. Wow. Companies love me. The Bahamians love me. Yeah. I didn't talk about nobody. Right. And the people I work for and work with, I, I said nothing to like Dale, all the years I've raced, I've never protested nobody in race it. Yeah. Never. And I won't walk up on the scale and watch you go through and tell the officials and blah, 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 right. blah. I'll walk around, look at it, and I'll see what you got, and I'll come Learn, next week yeah, with that and better. better. During, your, uh, during the years of your appeals, you continued to race and, and win. Uh, and we'll, I'm going to rattle off some of those victories here in a bit. But you had to know that jail was certain in your future. As you just said, 300%, your lawyer's telling you out of 100%. How did you block that out? How, like how, the like, hardest thing, the hardest thing was to get that close with a cop deal, a real good deal. Oh yeah, and not be able to. The thing that I wanted to do from the time yeah. I was nine, ten years old. No, but you went and ran all pro, and you won the biggest races. Well, that could I won be. the race. I won, won the race. I, I won know. the race. Um, so, but yet I raced all pro. I raced that late one car, like what I learned from a cop deal. I know, but mentally, maybe better. Mentally, how did you block that out, knowing that you were going to go to jail for years? I mean, how did you? I w- how, a normal person or some, <laughs> no. or me yeah. would have said, I, you know, I, I'm not. What's, what's there to race for? Right. Like I, I've got nothing to look forward to. But you kept going about your business won a as national a race car driver and won races. Won a championship. I just it had don't a million understand. Dollar, a million dollar sponsor for 14 races. I don't know year. how you Thank were model. able to do that. Yeah. How, like you went, so you. Because I thought I was going to win the appeal, I never, I never give up. In your mind, you never gave up. Never. You gave went up. to the 1986 Snowball Derby and won. 
Saturday night, a Saturday night in January in 1987, you celebrated the 1986 All Pro Championship. That following Monday, you walked into prison. Checked in. Like I can't even imagine. One of the hardest things I've ever do in my life. Drivers these days, a sinus cold will take over their mind while they're racing, <laughs> and, 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 and to be honest with you, and probably cause them to not perform as well. I mean. And that's just, I'm not knocking drivers these days. I'm just saying it's hard for a normal person to compartmentalize even the minor things that are going wrong because you're such a, a, you know, in a creature of habit and routine. Yeah. So, so you've got your life on the line in your head. And, and that's a fair question that he's asking. How do you race and win while that's going on? How can anybody do anything and do it so perfectly? Yeah, but... With that, over why the did head. you race? You raced to win. Yeah. Every time you ever sat down a hot rod, you won to win. Well, I mean, I think it speaks to your talent. It's all about winning. I think it speaks to your pure talent as a driver and your ability to take a car and make it better than everybody else's. Uh, that to me probably is the most fascinating part of your career. I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm curious about the smuggling side of it, but the fact that you did what you did during the appeal process to me. Is uh, hmm. it's amazing. We had eleven hundred and forty-two motions. Those are from case Explain law. Explain that to me. Those what, are, that, what does that mean? That words, when you're in trial and they use something against you, and somebody else has won on it. That's case law. Yeah, that's appellate issue. The judge let something go through that somebody else had won on, and you have to have real good attorneys to stand up and appeal it. Yeah, we had eleven hundred and forty-two motions. Took them four years, and then went on one. Mm. How did a bunch of people all went on that? Yeah. So you keep thinking, well, there's a shot. There's a shot. They did so many things wrong during trial. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, but listen to me. They pay the judge. Oh. The agents get paid every Friday. They don't care how long it takes. Right. How are you going to beat that? Yeah. They got all the money in the world. You're not beating <clears throat> that. But you thought you were. Uh, well, Yeah. <laughs> I, I read a lot of the court records on uh, that I could find. Um, fascinating how you guys all went back and forth with the legal system, arguing surveillance and all kinds oh. of different things. And I, that to me kind of spelled out how that process would be so drawn out. Well, another another fascinating thing that Mike and I both found uh, interesting is during your time in jail, um, during your first uh, prison term. Uh, you were sent to the Federal uh, Correctional Institute in all places, Talladega, Alabama. The cars were running. You were there that weekend. I was locked in a right. hole. You were in solitary. Solitary. While the race was going on. I could on. hear them. You could hear That killed me. That, that, yeah. I, I could think of the guards just, there had been at the races and, and knew who I was. Right. They didn't. They didn't. No. no that, that's but they be, knew. I knew they knew by... Things I heard him say, you yeah. know, that's so, got to be some kind of torture. I mean, that, that, if I think about torture, that for Russian. you to read the first half of this book and know where you are, where your heart is, to hear the cars in a race that you had been in yeah. previously, and you're who knew Talladega even had a federal correction facility. Yeah. I thought the I Talladega thought, infield jail, the, jail. The, the, know, the holding cell was the you only jail. You they don't want to be that's that's a penitentiary. That's that's you don't want to go there. You don't want to go to Atlanta. You don't want to go to. I don't Lewis want to Brothers. go to all of them. Just you don't want to go clear. to none of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go to any of them. Those are the real deal. Yeah. But take yeah. us take us inside that cell that day, because uh, what intrigues me, Gary, is the the beginning of your book. Something that really resonated with me is how you're a child and you're 
on top of your roof listening to race cars. Yeah. And you, you, you get this passion. You develop this passion. You want to be inside. You want to be there. So you get there, and seven years after you raced at that Talladega race, you're on a floor <laughs> of a cell hearing those race cars wanting to be inside there again. Can you, can you walk me through what was going through your mind oh, that day? It's a, it's a mindset. I mean, it's just... You have to put it aside to survive because you you got to survive. You can't just lay down and die because you have that fire in you that, that no quit. You're done. You, you, you know, they're dragging you out, dragging you around. And then they dragged me to Lewisburg Penitentiary. And I remember getting there and I looked at it and the guard tires and the walls. And I said, what have I really done to deserve this? And I thought about it. And I said, I know what I've done. I, I, I'm paying for my, my crime. And, but to go to a penitentiary... That's incredible. Hey, um, let's take a quick break to tell you about a new partner, Stamps.com. Hear me? Stamps.com. Thanks straight, Skippy. Listen, no one really has time to go to the post office these days. You're busy. Who's got time for all that traffic, parking, lugging your mail and packages? It's a real hassle. That's why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Stamps.com. The fact they offer discounts, too, is a real plus. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. A digital scale. Yeah. Man, you get your own scale. Yeah. You can, uh, you know, send your mail and also do your macros (laughs) without any long-term commitment. Just go to (laughs) stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Nice little podcast microphone. Yeah, it looks right. good. Make sure when you click on that, type in Dale Jr. That's stamps.com. Enter Dale Jr. Boom. Another interesting story from uh, 1989. You watched the Winston, the uh-huh. Rust, uh, where Rusty turned Daryl on the front straightaway for the win with yep. other inmates. Well, I own part of that deal. I was I was still in with Raymond Beetle. Really? And Reggie, yeah. While you're in jail. I put Rusty in that car. Right. But once Tim left it, it but Raymond said, what? Oh, oh, what are we going to do now? I said, we're going to put Rusty Wallace in. He said, Rusty who? I said, yeah. Rusty Wallace. And, and you, he said, he's never done nothing. I said, he's the next candidate. I'm telling you, yeah. he's a racer. He's who we got to hire. You've been racing against Rusty, and you oh, knew yeah. him well. Oh, I mean, yeah. ASA and all pro. We were yeah. good friends. So the, you talk about how winning, uh, Rusty winning the championship in 1989 really affected you because you had had the opportunity. or work, That was sort of your destiny yep. to actually be in that car, yep. um, had had things going your way. But it was, it was still... Good for me to see Raymond do good and Rusty do good. I, I, right. I mean, I'm still a team player. Yeah. But it hurts, you know, that you, that's what you work for all your life, and that's why you did what you did to get there, and yeah. here we are. I never knew that. I, so uh, when when you 
I never knew your affiliation with the 27 car. I, I never even knew you ever had an opportunity or, or were working on a deal for the 28 car, yeah. uh, Bernier car at that time. Um, so it's interesting for me to see like a, a visual graph of what your career, what your direction was. Right. Like uh, you had a plan. Like yep. when you were at the racetrack in 1979 in Daytona, you might not have knew exactly what that plan was. But after, by 1981. Was to get good enough to get in yeah. the top right? By 1981, you're in the 75 car. Uh, with rehealing those guys, and that you you were working on a plan. You had a plan. So seeing, imagining you now in that twenty seven car, and 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 having that potential to be with that team really even makes it more intriguing. Um, I didn't know that. So because I didn't know that you had a, that much of a foundation created in the Cup Series in eighty one when you left. Right. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, Here's how I feel about that twenty eight car. Yeah. If your dad had ever been in that 28 car, the rest of them had been racing for a second every race they went to. <laughs> it was a rocket ship. Woo. Yeah, it was. Yes, sir. It was a rocket ship. And I think that was the best thing that could have ever happen to Davey. I mean, he, yeah, he for might, sure. it was a lot more race car than there was driver there that first year. Oh. But, boy, you can't drive. You can't learn to drive until you can get in a car a that can do ride. what it needs to do. A good hot day car. Yeah. Good hot rod. That's right. <laughs> uh, so that probably was the best thing that could have happened to old Davey. We talked about how, how well you could have – fared as a driver in today's uh racing uh you're still involved in motorsports you're still you're yeah. man you're uh, you working with you work do you still work with Stuart? yeah a little bit on his stuff a little bit but you work i mean it seems like Stuart you're working Friesen. yeah, yeah. Stuart, Friesen. Stuart Friesen. you're working uh you're working we tried to i tried to hire Stuart this year um well, keep keep trying i know he, he is a little shoe man the boss wanted to come with me his mom just passed away yeah. monday to sit down and maybe talk to you about that yeah I wanted. We had some opportunities to get uh, with some open races in the eight car for Xfinity, and I talked to Stewart about that, but nothing. We couldn't get nothing put together. Uh, how many different teams are you working with right now? Is, you, working with can a guy, you even count them? Yeah, I'm working with a guy, Jim Weber, with some Seneca uh, stuff. Yeah, and that's a pretty good deal. Probably bring Jimmy Carter in, or maybe put Stewart in a few races. And that's asphalt. Yeah, all asphalt. Yeah, your own asphalt strictly now. Yeah. No, yeah. I go to dirt. I go with a big block dirt. I go to Middletown. My boss owns all that. Okay. And we go up there. I mean, New York, it's like incredible with a book. So you're know, all like, over the – You're I, still like – New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, where I race. I only raced up for five seasons, and yeah. it's incredible. The fans up there are just unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Sounds like you're still I, when, running when I, Yeah, when I first went back up there, I walked across the racetrack, and I don't know anybody. And I got to the bottom of the racetrack, and there was 15 people who wanted to autograph. I said, you got to be kidding me. How do these people remember me? Yeah. It don't make sense. The legend. They were, everybody remembers legend you, man. Up there. Yeah, yeah, but it's just, it's, it's just crazy to be gone that long yeah. walking someplace. You've never been gone. Everybody still remembers who you are. Yeah. Where, where, where do you live? I live in Ohio. I live in Cleveland, but I went there and put some race teams together, <laughs> main event cars for Brian Short and Jimmy Carter. And then I went to Tom Ferris with Scott Baker and put three teams together there. Then I put another team together over in Pennsylvania with a Seneca car. Then I got to Delaware and Illinois, and I got all that stuff going on in New York mm. State. Yeah. But I'm excited about the movie. I want to do the movie. So you're making a documentary. Tell, tell us. Yeah. The documentary is real close to being done. Really? We worked on it all last summer. I've, I've seen the rough cut of it. It's, it's, it's incredible how they move stuff around. Is it similar to the book? It's from the book. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. And so a lot of the names that we uh, read about in here, are they in the documentary? Like, oh, yeah. Do, do you t- do it's you- like that documentary is like me sitting right here and talking to you. I'm, I, I, wow. Whatever it is, I'm going to tell it. Right you on. Know? Well, I want to rattle off some victories, man. 
1968 Florida's Governor's Cup 200 winner, 1976 Syracuse 200 winner, 77 Syracuse 200 winner, 78 Syracuse 200 winner, 81 Miller High Life 300 winner, 1980 Snowball Derby winner, 1980 Syracuse 200 winner, 84 All-American 400 winner, 84 World Crown 300 winner, 86 All-American 400 winner, 86 All-Pro champion, 86 Snowball Derby winner, winner over 1,000 races, feature events in his career. Gary Ballou. I've always wanted to talk to you. Um, to me, you're one of the most fascinating stories in motorsports. And uh, appreciate you writing this book because I had, there were a ton of holes to fill for me. And I know there's a lot of other people out there that are as curious about you as I am. They need to read this book, Hot Shoe, A Checker Pass, My Story by Gary Ballou and Bones Bouchier. How do you pronounce it? Bouchier. 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 I've always said I'm I just call, that's why everybody calls him Bones. Just call him Bones. Bones. Yeah. He's one of the best. The best. He's he a real is. racer. I waited a year and a half for that. You know, got with 181 and trying to find a sponsor, somebody to help me with it. And Chris stepped up. Yeah. And I got I got with Lou Boyd and they were doing a contract back and forth, back and forth. They sent me all the stuff, but there's no contract in the envelope. So I just said, Well, they haven't got it yet. And I waited and I waited and I waited. Finally I called him. I said, Where's the contract? He said, You got it. We're waiting on you. I said, <laughs> I don't have it. Oh, yeah, you do. I said, don't have it. Well, meanwhile, Bones had to do something. He took a job in California. Well, I had to wait a year and a half to get him to do it. <laughs> but I wasn't doing that book without yeah. Bones Bouchard. Yep. So my boss kept sending me, Gary, there's other authors. There's other people can do that book. Nah, I said, no, there's like not. Yes. When we finally did that book and he, he was reading it as I was proofreading it, my boss does all of the contracts. He said, I don't like to read, Gary. I said, okay. Yeah, I sent some chapters to me. I sent some chapters. He, said, he called me up. He said, "Holy Christ, what have you done to me?" I said, "What? <laughs> oh, you know, like, oh man, what have we done?" Yeah. He said, "That's the best book I've ever read in my life. I can't wait to get home to read another part of it." Yeah. So that was it's, good. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's such an education on racing, I, and I, that sounds so cliche. But I'm not a racer. I work for a racer. Yeah, a good one. And, and I learn about race cars and the ingenuity that. Can be applied I mean, the to it. Batmobile it, it was alone. unbelievable oh, my Lord. how much it educates people, and you don't have to be a racing fanatic. It just it's it's impressive. It's an impressive piece of work. He texted me, Crispin said, "You read the book," and I was elated. I said, "Wow, that's not junior, really." And then he said, and "The whole thing is he patterned some of his career up to my style." And I went, "Oh my God!" <laughs> if Biggie could hear that, you yeah, know right? what I mean? And then then he went on and started telling me about the ingenuity and, and what the cards and how how sanitary the cards were, including they were. And, and that meant a lot to me to hear that from him, yeah. you know? Well, I appreciate Because he has got there, and he has made it, and he has done it. He's done I, okay for himself. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was, I'm, gl I'm glad I got to learn all about you. Um, there's so many layers to you. Uh, and Good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, they all tell a story, and they all have, there's lessons in there. Um and I do tell I tell my driver I told Josh Berry my late model guy that's out there he's won fifty late model races and 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 still racing today I said you need to read this book because you will be a better race car driver when you're done like the because I'll go over to the shop and Josh ain't gonna be too happy about me telling him this but I go over to the shop and I look at his car and I go I know that you're not getting everything you can out of the body of this car and he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't he's think, not in zero at all he doesn't think that half mile don't matter. 
he doesn't think Wrong. that it's important enough. And no. I'm, I want him to read this book. Just need more. Smarter, yeah. rich, you need more. I know. I really want him to read this book because I feel like that. And and I don't want everybody to read it because they'll, they'll make <laughs> you know, any of the guys <laughs> he's racing against <laughs> yeah. at least. Um, <laughs> because I do think that if you read this book, it's sort of a manual on creativity and an approach uh, that all short track racers should have. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm curious. About, I'm curious about the the wild crazy outlaw part of your life but no. there is an amazing amazing amount of information for racers in here um you got the documentary coming out i can't wait to see it I be can't, good. I i've, I've seen some of it and i'm amazed wait. i'm yeah. amazing my boss is three times he told me over the weekend oh my god it's oh my god yeah did he to get uh, that was good out of him yeah it's really hard yes sir <laughs> you know what i mean i we all sit here every week on the show and talk about racing because we all understand racing from different levels, especially Mike's got the PRN. He's got the driving in and growing up in it. I got the, the growing up in it. But I don't understand things like what it's like to serve time. Oh, horrible. Um, and, horrible. and I want to hear from you since you're a racer and I can identify with you and he can identify with you. I really want to know your words. You, know, you could do it in that mic there. What it's like to serve time because I don't understand that. Well, it is so hard to have somebody tell you when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat and lock you down and you can't watch this and you can't do that. It's incredible that way. But my first deal was you have all your family and it's like you can't keep in your mind and, and survive prison and time and try to keep your life going with your family. It's so hard. It's so hard. I mean, it just—it's like it—it it takes all that away from you. It takes and puts you over here someplace, away from everybody and everything. It's brutal, brutal. Did you? And did then when they drag you someplace on a writ, because they want to reindict you, and they drag each every crap hole they can drag you through. That's when you really know that you, what they're doing to you and, and where you're at. I mean, if the worst thing in the world is to get involved in a situation where you're ever going to have to do any of that. I mean. What I would do to change that? I mean, yeah, I've had some nice stuff, nice boats and planes and cars and race cars and homes and did a lot for my family, my mom, my dad, my brothers and my in-laws and, and my children for school and this and this and that. But it's got to be a better way. And the better way was racing. I just probably got impatient because I I, I was going to get there, but it was also for some money that was in the background. And you see all that, and you just you get tired of being without and doing without and struggling and struggling. So you get tired of your knees bleeding. So you take that chance. Well, it's like, to me, I started with a hobby car, and I got to a late model car, and I, I got to sportsman cars, and, and, you know, and finally you get to comp cars, and I've spread cars and midgets and a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? I've won most of it. And so you, you get involved in that, and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was real careful not to get myself so involved that I had to do anything, such as in a mafia life. Oh, we can help you. We get you out of this. You know, but you have to work for us. No, 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 no. So I was pretty fortunate I never got involved that deep. And the same thing with the Colombians. I mean, they're all my friends and they're family. They're really family, man. All you got to do is do the right thing with them. They're not ruthless people. They're good people. But it's called doing what you got to do. And do what you say you're going to do. And my dad taught me at 11 years old, treat people the way you want to be treated. And I've lived my whole life that way. Sometimes that bites you. But on the other side, that's the way I want to be. I mean, that's the way I've been. And 
that's the way I want to be. Gary, I'm going to ask you uh, one more thing, if you don't mind. It just made me think of that. Uh, you're, we talked about the first time you got involved in smuggling was to help sort of speed up the process of getting you into the Cup Series and right. affording that because it is a big undertaking financially. What was the reason for the second time? Once you and so when when I read when I read about that, it made me think, wow. I mean, you knew the feds were watching you for four years in the '80s, in the late eight, in the early '80s, the first time. How could you even think about going back in there? Didn't were they not still watching you? Did they not like keep an eye on you even when you're out and you're done yeah, and you served your time? They do, but they don't. I mean, they do. You know, with your probation and all that. I mean, I when this all started, I did five, five four years on a pill. Then I did four years, and then I did five years on paper, which I was up here doing that. Then the second time, I got a seven-year sentence, and I did 68 months in and five years on paper afterwards. So yeah. add all that up, it's about 13, 14 years. I don't know. But why did you go in the second time? The second time, because my, knee, my knees were bleeding. I couldn't get a sponsorship. I couldn't you, make no money. Had, you were yeah. at the bottom. At the bottom, at the very, really? very bottom. <clears throat> and I went to Bemini fishing. And you got to remember, all them kids over there now have grown up. I made Christmas for all them kids. I'd load my hatters up with thirty, forty thousand dollars worth of toys to take over there and we'd have Christmas. You know, and they needed bikes and they needed this, they needed that. Whatever they needed, we figured out how to get it. Yeah. Now they're grown up. They remember that that Gary kept his mouth shut. Grandpa, they call me. Yeah. He's our hero. You need to do this. You need to no, 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 I don't need to do nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got this blah 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 blah. So you do one trip. One mm. trip's all it takes. Build in. You're back yeah, in. You're in. Golly. Man. I swear. I'm going to tell you something. The only thing I've done in my life that was as exciting as racing is smuggling. Shit. Oh, my Christ. <laughs> Dale, look at Kenny Wall. Yeah. And I tried it never, to, it's not going to And I tried well. to get him to stop and yeah. not get involved in what he got involved in. He wanted to get involved in other stuff. And Kenny, don't. I'm telling you. You don't want to get around them people. This is way different. Yeah. It's like moonshiners. There are different class of people than people in heroin and meth and yeah. all that crap. You know? Kenny that helped you build the Batmobile. Yeah. Good. What happened to Kenny? He got arrested. He did 10 years. Oh. But he got off into some of the other stuff. and Worst stuff, the, yeah. The coke, and, and, and it just gets out of control there, and then you get dealing with people that are out of control. And well, you know, so apparently, you know, at this time in your life, you wrote the book, you got the documentary to come out. I'm I'm glad that it's part that you're comfortable talking about that part of your life. It's fascinating. It's there. It's, there. it's fascinating, and um, and and he mentions he paid he he paid yeah. his dues. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. he doesn't apologize. He's paid. He served his time, and you take a lot away. You paid him. your penance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that how you feel? That's how I feel. I mean, I I'm sorry that I got involved. You know, for my right. family, and my children, but there was a lot of good that come out of that too. Yeah. You know. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. A, been a privilege to talk. Thank it's really you. cool beating him and being around him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been at a racetrack and I wanted to walk up and talk to him. I said, "Yeah, no, damn, him. I wish you would have. I'm not going to do that. I <laughs> wish you would have." Well, thanks for coming. But uh, thanks for coming all this way, man. I appreciate it. I really appreciate being here on the show with you and getting to spend some time with you. Yes, sir. I want to go fishing. Let's go fishing. <laughs> we, hey, I want to go to Key West with you. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Let's yeah, do yeah. It. we'll get down there and just have some fun, man. Sounds good. Get on a boat. And- well, you're not going to go to the Bahamas, are you? Here's what's going to save us. The Keys from South Florida go off to the west and off into the Gulf. Bahamas are over here now. If we were down around Marathon, maybe not Marathon's a little too far down. Yeah. We've done some stuff in Marathon, but 
Key Largo is about what we need to be straight across. Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. we okay. got GPS good. now, so now we, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. don't need a cup. All right, no. that's good. I'd love to, I, I mean, there's a lot of stories we didn't get to tell today. <laughs> I'd love to hang out with you and get to hear some oh, more yeah. cool stories. All, I mean, I want to hear you sing some more. Yeah. All right, we'll get enough <laughs> beer in me. We'll, we'll do some yeah, karaoke. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> thank All right, you, man, Gary. we'll see you. All right, man, thank you. It's good to be here. Okay, none of that interview was bull, which is the perfect segue into our new partner. You, you, you no, wrote no, that. No bull. Matthew wrote that <laughs> joke. The new partner's no bull. It's time to demand more from your workout gear the way you demand more from yourself. No bull doesn't believe in excuses or BS. Everybody knows what that stands yeah. for. And that's why you won't find any in their footwear, apparel, or accessories. Wear and tear is welcome. No Bull has you covered. Don't let the simple design fool you. No Bull's gear is built to perform. Launched in 2015, No Bull has become a key... Disruptor. Disruptor. No Bull has become a key disruptor in the fitness industry. Disrupting. Disrupting things, man. Their product philosophy is, don't put anything on a product that doesn't do anything. Take everything off that you don't need. Be honest about what the product does. I like that philosophy. Kind of like a race car, man. Strip down all that unnecessary weight. Okay. The only thing that'll make you fitter is you. Working hard, day after day. That's it. No bull. Training gear is designed just for that. Products that perform with you when and where you need them. Wherever your workout takes you, that's it. I'm excited. I have a pair of these shoes, a shirt, and some shorts coming, and I'm looking forward to wearing them. Also looking forward to working out in them. If you're ready to challenge your gear the way you challenge yourself, go to nobullproject.com slash Junior today. For people who put in the work day after day, visit nobullproject.com slash Junior and check out their training gear. That's N-O-B-U-L-L-P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot com slash Junior. <laughs> That's a spelling quiz. That's a lot of spelling. That's all right. What was the most fascinating part of the story to you? My most fascinating part of the story to me is definitely the the trip on uh, the trip on the boat with the gas and almost yeah. you know, the, the the pump and barely making it back. The concealed <laughs> compartment, compartment, <laughs> and how the dogs even couldn't find it. <laughs> That's that is innovative, and he pl- he applied the same innovation and ingenuity to his race cars, which explains. I think, which explains his more than 1,000 wins. I also found it very intriguing how when he was in prison, early in his prison sentence, he could hear race cars uh, at Talladega. And he had just been in that race a few years. Oh, I'm, yeah, now, Seven years before, yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? To I mean, me, the, I, to there's me irony there, though, because if you think about it, like, this is my big, biggest takeaway from the whole book. I thought it would be smuggling. But just imagining yourself, the irony of the beginning of the book, how he's standing on a roof and he's listening to race cars yeah. and he wants to be inside that racetrack. You know what I mean? He wants to be there. And then all those years later, after being in the sport, he's then back on the outside laying on a cold jail cell floor here in those race cars. Yeah. And, and, oh, my God. That like ki- that killed me. You know, Barry, it must it seems like it's really got you. That affected the shit out of you, man. This is like well, I don't know. You know me. I'm. I, you could call me a dork, but I'm passionate <laughs> as hell about you know. I know you, you guys. Your from passion up north. is evident. You, you guys, <laughs> just a little bit. From You're up passionate. North. 
Yeah. That's an understatement of the century. Learn learn something. (laughs) Learn something new today. Passionate, sensitive, (laughs) all the above. I mean, remove (laughs) remove your specific passion to racing for a second. Impossible. Where does Gary Ballou rank with people up in Pennsylvania and New York? Like, is he – I mean, there's Richie Evans. If you're not looking at, like, the the cup guys or whatever, I'd put him with Dick Trickle, Richie Evans – but it's like I, I look at it, and it's like, yeah, you look at his statistics and the fact that he drove dirt modifieds and drove freaking everything, late models, Roddy Combs, you know, helped him out, stuff like that. But think about it. If he didn't waste 10 years of his you – know, or arguably 7, 8, 9, 10 years of his career, you know, being behind bars, what might have been? Or, you know, I think oh, he w- sure, I think yeah. it would have been a Raymond Beetle's car maybe instead of Rusty. Uh, rustier instead of maybe Tim Richmond. Yeah. You know, and think about the trajectory that would have been there, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, he was as good as dad, as good as Tim. In a general sense, he was as good as they were. Now, when, you know, we didn't get to see him go through 20 years of cup racing to see exactly the stats he would have compiled. But in the moment, I believe you could say that he was in the same mold as if you took Tim and dad and sort of cloned their DNA together, that's what you get. You get him. Absolutely. All right, time for Valvoline DIY. Dale, a question coming in for you here. Um, what's a time in your racing career where you kind of took matters into your own hands and rigged something up or, or even worked on your own race car? Well, yeah, I've worked on my race car for years. Um, worked on my own street stock car, worked mm-hmm. on my own late mall car for four, four years or so, built Kelly's cars, worked on them, made ductwork, crush panels, battery boxes, I know you made something for your phone the one time when we were allowed to run uh, with the phones in the car. Ah, uh, we had a pocket. Uh, we just sewn a pocket into the uh, padding in the door bars, and you could put your sunglasses in there, or a piece of paper, or a phone. <laughs> I guess when phones were popular, a Walkman. Uh, now, <laughs> I used to. Uh, I did. I used to uh, listen to the music sometimes back in the day when we were testing at Daytona um, in the winter. You would, uh, you're running by yourself, so you have to run by yourself. So you go out there, and you get in line, and you wait your turn to go. And it would be a long line of cars sometimes, and it'd be 40 minutes sitting in that line waiting Oof. on your turn to go. It's a, not, a, it's not bad. It's seat's, seat's comfortable. It's not hot. Uh, just quiet. So I would get uh, one earplug for music, run into my phone, or my... Uh, what tunes were you listening to? Um... Then I would have the other earplug uh, listening to Tony Jr., whoever, telling me, hey, man, it's your turn, or go after this car that goes by. You don't want to pull out in front of somebody. I listen to all kinds of music. You get asked what kind of music that you listen to. Depends I mean, on the day, right? Not, yeah, everybody listens. I mean, does does I want to meet someone who listens to one specific ty- kind of music and that type only. Boring. Yeah. Is anybody in the room like that? Leah? No, Leah? I know. I would have pictured that yeah, Leah know, would actually be that person. I know you guys are getting ready to go there. No, I have a, I mean, I go from like prime country to um, serious XM fly, like next to each other yeah. on my on my. What's fly? Car. It's like old school, like hip hop. Oh, yeah. fly is old XM school? XM fly. Yeah. I back, backspin. Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't even know the XM names of the stations. Prime country's good. I do, a, I stream Pandora and Spotify. But I, my habits are, I'm like six months on this, could be alternative country, old rock, whatever, 
I'm listening to that for six months, and then I transition back to something, then over to something else, and then I kind of do rap for a while. I kind of, and uh, it's just this sort of cycle that I'm in. But uh, so I don't even know what I was listening to back then. Whatever. Back when we used to work on the cars, if you wrecked, was there ever a time where you just like, when you got out of the car, you're just like, give me, give me a jack, and you start working on your own crap that you remember? Hmm. I mean, I I don't know. I I when I raised late models, I was the only one. Uh, well, I had Wesley Sherrill there and a couple other guys there, but yeah, I mean, I worked on my crashed cars. I mean, you know, fixing the front of the car, fix, putting fenders on it, nose on it, put it, cutting the hood, all those things. We didn't want to do it as we didn't want to do it too often, but we did. Uh, I could see the smoke. Yeah. He's thinking. <laughs> you know, I think uh, the toughest thing for me was painting. So. If I needed to put a new fender on my car, so when I worked on my late models, I was sort of fitting into whatever available space was around the shop. And there was a dad's Xfinity team with Tony Senior. They were, you know, they had Jeff Green or somebody driving the car at that time, and and they are they're the they're the deal. You stay out of their way. You don't use any of their stuff. I don't care if it's a roll of tape. You got to figure out. You know, you got to ask for it. Borrow. You know, you don't just go and grab. And I had torn the fender off my car, and I needed to, I needed to, I had a fender. I needed to paint it. I had no idea how to etch it or prime. I didn't know nothing about painting, mixing paint or whatever. But I asked enough questions to try to do it myself. And I think that was probably the toughest thing because I could make, you know, I could, I could put it on the car. I could cut and fabricate. I could bolt, weld. I could do everything but the paint. Is something that I never really put a lot of time in to learn, and uh, that's probably the uh, that's probably the one thing that I most or that I'm least fluent in is is priming, painting, mixing, making it look good. So that was that was an experience trying to you know when you have to put on a new fender, a new door, or something on the car, uh, you know, getting it, getting it looking good, getting it matching, because you got that car and you, I had a white car, you run that thing two months. That white's a little different color. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly the way it was when it came out of the booth. Put a new fender on there, and thing stuck out like a sore <laughs> thumb a little bit. Yeah, you did it though. You got yeah. it, you got you got it done. That part I probably didn't enjoy that much because it was a lot of cleanup too. You got to you got to mix it, paint, then you got to clean up the the gun and get all your crap out of the way for the next guy coming in to paint something else. All right, uh, from high mileage rides that need that thick anti wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup. We know how much we hate carbon buildup in here. Uh, head on over to Valvoline.com slash Dale to find the product spec for your engine. All right, Nationwide White Flag. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. Leah Vaughn's that's debut. Me. That's me. That's me. Awesome. So Mike, Mike stepped out of the uh, the studio here, so you got we're putting white flag on your butt. All right, Nationwide White Flag. Here we go. Um, Dale, you're on vacation this week, so enjoy that. I am. Is that a surprise to you? That's nice. (laughs) Uh, We have some new reviews on Apple Podcasts that I thought I'd share with you guys today. The first one is from SFO Lynn, and it says, I was never a Dale Hard and could often be quoted saying he could only drive at plate tracks or up high against the wall. But after he was married, Dale Jr. began to open up more and show us his personality, and I began to respect him more. When the podcast launched, I became a diehard listener and fan. I enjoy his insight, his respect for the history of racing, and the stories from his life and behind the scenes. The download goes to the top of my podcast list every week, right behind Door Bumper Clear. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. Here we am. It's like pumping the tires. I know. Hey, 
They are out of the same stable. It is some healthy competition. <laughs> What's good for them? What's good for us? What's good for us? Good for them. Who's this person's name? SFO Lynn. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Our next one is from American Diamond, and he says, This podcast is easily one of the top five of all podcasts of any subject. Wow. Dell Jr. is a pro. Isla is ready for a little brother. And Leah needs a raise. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait, is that from Leah? Uh, I mean, that's what it said on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Leah's going to burn her account. account. <laughs> yeah, right? That's pretty funny. All right. Um, just a reminder that Driven to Give Gloves campaign will be underway soon. There are 55 drivers participating this year. The gloves will be autographed by each driver and Dell Jr. The auction kicks off on July 12th and in July 19th. So get ready for that at uh, nascarfoundation.org slash Dale Jr. All the proceeds go to the Dale and Amy Earnhardt Fund at Nationwide Children's Hospital. All right, Dale. Odd history? Yeah, man. we got some odd history for you. We're headed off to Kentucky this weekend. The Bluegrass State has produced many successful NASCAR drivers and industry folk and some infamous people, including the notorious J.D. Stacy. Boy, do we know about this guy. Uh. <laughs> In early 1977, the Kentucky Coal millionaire bought the K&K insurance team from Nord... How do you even pronounce that? Krauskopf. 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 All right, so you remember the Orange 71 with yep. K&K insurance on it? Well, that was the team he bought. Very successful team. Bobby Isaac drove for him, Neil Bonnet, Dave Marcus. Mm-hmm. He was convinced to do so by a friend. Uh, that friend happened to be the team's crew chief, Harry Hyde. Neil Bonnet had been driving the car and stayed in the seat. He switched numbers from 71 to number 5, and by the end of 1978, it was reported that he'd stopped paying his employees and had angered so many people that he was the target of an assassination, assassination, assassination attempt. J.D. Somebody tried to kill this man. <laughs> in November of that year, 10 sticks of dynamite were discovered underneath Stacy's Cadillac limousine <laughs> at a Concord, North Carolina motel. Stacy admitted it was the second time in six years that someone tried to blow him up. I mean, no My big gosh. deal. It's just whatever. Old hat. Investigators were unable to determine who attempted to kill J.D. Stacy. Stacy actually left the sport in early 1979. He was actually sued by Harry Hyde. Two years later, though, he bought Rod Osterlin's team. That happened to be the team Dad had yep. was driving for, won the championship for in 1980, and returned the NASCAR ranks as an owner. During Stacy's NASCAR tenure, his drivers included Sterling Marlin, Farrell Harris, Neil Bonnet, Joe Rutman, Tim Richmond, and my dad. So he would put his name on all the cars. They were like, at one point in 1981, J.D. Stacy had his name on about eight different damn race cars. <laughs> it's crazy. Probably all his checks bouncing all over the damn place. <laughs> his plans for his second go-around in NASCAR were to run a five-car operation, so he called his company the Five Racers. Dad had a falling out with Stacy quite quickly. Yeah. And that grand idea for Stacy to have top five teams never materialized. And his own personal team, so he put his name on everybody's car, but he had only the one car, uh, ceased operations at the completion of the 1983 season. Boy, it's a, it, there's a lot more to old J.D. Mm-hmm. Stacy than that. Uh, but assassination, think, holy well, crap. Dad, dad uh, got the hell out of there as soon as Stacy bought the team because he's great friends with Neil Bonnet. Neil Bonnet had a lot of dirt. He said, you don't want to be in uh, business with this man. So that's it, boys. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoy pristineauction.com. You knew it was coming. Pristine is an authentic sports memorabilia website where you can bid and win 
without going to that auction house. (laughs) Just sit back and relax at home or at work when your boss ain't looking. While he thinks you're working on that document, you'll be snagging some amazing autograph memorabilia. Pristine has all sorts of auctions, from daily auctions to rapid-fire style 10-minute auctions. It's all a lot of fun. All bids start at $1. The authenticity of these items is the biggest thing. I've signed for Pristine. That's why I know they're legit. Every autograph on there, that's the real deal. There's no fakes, no phonies. That's my favorite part. Dilner, what did you spot before the show that got you so excited? Yeah, I saw the boys at DBC. They were getting some cool stuff. TJ got a Buffalo Bills helmet. I figured I'd look at one of my favorite teams, the New York Islanders, and I saw a really cool Johnny Boychuk signed jersey for only 20 bucks. It even said Johnny Rocket on it. I kind of thought that was cool. Yeah, it figures you'd bid on that. (laughs) Just go check out pristineauction.com now. It's free to register, free to bid, and, of course, you only pay for the items you win. That's Pristine Auction, spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E auction.com and when you register please select Dale Jr. Download Podcast from the drop down menu in the How Did You Hear About Us section that lets them know that we sent you. We had a great show. Hope you have a great week. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.